Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, you had to be there, the crappy quiz and a slight tangent. That's being a football hipster, isn't it? Making up kind of weird names. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's Thursday morning, it's OTB AM. Welcome to the show. We're here between now and 10 o'clock. As per usual, to my left this morning, I have the one and only, Galway's finest, Johnny Ward. Johnny, good morning. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Things? Haven't been on in a while. Good to be back. Too long, too long. And Colin Bouvig is here, as, you, as per usual. Morning, Colin. Shane and Johnny, good morning. Galway Corkman, and represented this morning, folks. How are you keeping? Very well. Um, very well. What a game of football last weekend. Gaelic uh, football, still amazing to watch, I but did, it's good. I didn't even have to ask him mm. to bring it up. Oh, and he brings up Monaghan. Folks, if you want to talk, we mightn't run up. It could be one of the two games. Could be the other game. You were talking Derry about Derry and Fermanagh for a while. Was good. Mon- yeah, I was talking about Monaghan. If you want to talk about the next two hours, we can. But <laughs> few people might get angry. The gumption to go for a goal there, like ah. you're just like, what are you thinking? Cajones, I mean, just lack of experience. Put the ball over the bar, like you know, keep you know, make it level, whatever. Scenes hashtag. But then, scenes. but then I would never have had that moment of like my my soul leaving my body in mm. happiness and hugging random Monaghan people around me that I didn't know. It, might, it must be right up there with the annual like avoiding relegation on the last day kind it's of vibe. The usual. This team, yeah. this Monaghan team over the last fifteen years have given me so much happiness. Yeah, I, I should Look be so glad to face. You know. Yeah. So it's it's an absolute buzz. So regardless of whether we win in All Ireland ever or not. They've given me some good days. That's lovely. So I'm going to take that, you know. you got to take that to the bank. Straight out of the Mayo kind of copybook there. Well, yeah. yeah. A, some people say it's a loser's attitude. I don't care. I've had I've had some serious days supporting Monaghan. Mm. And that's, that's what sport's all about, isn't it? Well, if League of Ireland teams go into the Champions League or the Europa League or the Conference League, they've literally no chance to win it. That doesn't stop the enjoyment. Oh, yeah. You no chance. a point against a yeah. so-called heavyweight. Absolutely. I mean, you're laughing. Oats BM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave for your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. We've got loads coming up between now and uh, 10 o'clock, as I said. Uh, Shane Curran and Michael Meehan will be with us from 8 o'clock the big one in the GA this weekend of course Russ Common and Galway plenty of hurling in action as well we'll get to that a little bit later in the show with uh, Taggy Fogarty who'll join us uh, around 8.50 uh, Vinnie Perth at 8.20 talking League of Ireland uh, kind of semi-regular shot, uh, slot he's done with us now uh, Vinnie and plenty of interesting strands and talking points from the League of Ireland to get into with him uh, John Duggan will join us for the sports news around 8.45 as I said Taggy around 8.50 for the hurling and uh, Declan Lynch's you had to be there uh, at ten, uh, 5 past 9 and his picks are brilliant uh, very niche and very brilliant so stick with us for that there also a sign of his age you won't mind me saying because he's gone back well 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 into the 70s there which, he's dug uh, deep yeah he's dug deep um, yeah it's actually Colin sent me on the list last night it was like I'm actually looking forward to talking about these events that I wasn't asked just yeah. to see because they're for respective on, on old Ireland as well it's going to be brilliant uh, we should touch on the back page of the Irish Independent this morning our good friend Dan McDonald has a piece uh, Ferguson to resist United it's which bit of a strike. Good friend, <laughs> good friend He's on the show, like good friend, yeah. colleague. Would you want to go? Yeah, acolyte, acolyte. Yeah, yeah. Subordinate. Exactly. <laughs> if you're watching Dan, Johnny loves you really. Um, Evan Ferguson is expected to commit his future to Brighton and turn down the opportunity in the short term, at least, to become the most expensive Irish footballer 
of all time. Manchester United are reportedly waiting in the wings, uh, 40 million euro plus in excess to instigate a discussion. And even then, there's no guarantee it will be entertained by Brighton, uh, is what Dan is writing today. Tottenham also keen on him being Harry Kane's long term replacement. Uh, mentions that he's on the radar of Man City and Chelsea as well. But the Manchester United interest appears to be the, the, the strongest. Um, Darren Fletcher, who's a technical director, at United is known to be a fan of Evan Ferguson. Um, so unclear. Yeah, he's been. known to be a fan of Evan Ferguson. Everyone's a fan of Evan Ferguson. Well, yes. Unless you know anything about anything, you're a fan of Evan but Ferguson. But we love talking He's about known to be a fan of Evan Ferguson. I mean, like, Evan Ferguson is an 18-year-old footballer who's taken the world by storm in a team that's mid-ranking, a decent mid-ranking team. Yeah. Of course, of course. I mean, that's not even... He's known to be a fan of. Like, but that, we, that we, like nothing. He, we like hearing that non-Irish people are also, yeah. you know... We're still quite about insecure about, like, are, yeah. uh, about Ireland in general. It's like, we're still like, you know, the Irish Times, like, new to the parish. Ireland is great, people are very friendly, and it's like the top red story. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Irish but, fans are the best in the world. Yeah, Evan yeah. Ferguson is great, though. He is fantastic. <laughs> so Brighton Fields United in the FA Cup semi-final at Wembley uh, next weekend. It's unclear if this ankle issue will clear up. Which? This weekend. This weekend Sorry, this yeah. weekend. Is it? Oh, yeah. So next weekend is. Is next weekend the following? I've, I've had this debate with you. It's, it's this weekend. Week, this weekend. Yeah, I, I would. Well, oh, yeah, next weekend is the weekend upcoming for me. It's like this no, the next no, one. No, no, it's no, the next one. No. It's like the next weekend. No, why, it's why would it be the weekend. one after? But why would you. This weekend, what, what, not this next we, weekend. What's this weekend then? Both, the same thing. The, the both. No, I don't know. You can say next both. weekend is next sorry, week. Anyway, McDonald was going to that game, sorry. And, uh, like, so he was texting me on Saturday, uh, Ferguson, like, you know, really worried emoji. And I was thinking, this he must be out for six months. Not at all. He just Dan. Isn't that much? Exactly. So Dan's trip to watch the cup game. Mm. Was it was all about Ferguson, and to be fair, like it's first world problem. Oh, like, he's Ferguson, going to Wembley. Yes, yeah, so going Ferguson's to Wembley. Grand, like, yeah, it's just he's Dan eating caviar in the press box. Yeah. There we are. Sure, Dan'll 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 find his way to make Lap it up. Well, uh, Dan's saying it's unclear if, if Ferguson will be fit to play Man United in the league yeah. on the fourth of May, let alone the Which this weekend. After. So it did like a, a OTB Saturday now is just like if, especially because the Brighton Chelsea game was actually on, so it was like Ferguson watching. Oh. Anytime he's even, anytime he sneezes, we're injured. Yeah. Are, can we're, can you both injured. remember uh, when he was really highly rated before he kicked the ball, uh, kicked the senior football? Was he? Did we talk about him like he was the next big thing? Yeah, See, I'm forgetting about it now because he has delivered, and we've when seen so many Vinny, Vinny, Vinny will definitely be a better verse to talk about that. Vinny's very good friends, his dad as well, and he was because when he was, he was. But you just can't put that much pressure on a 14 year old because most of the time it goes wrong. Or a 15 year old, mm. and it predated him playing for Bowles against Chelsea at 14 mm. because he was so big. And we spoke to Keith Ward on our podcast this week, and he said. Ferguson could do the basics straight away and he said you can't underestimate that he could keep a ball trap it and pass it to the wing at 14 that's an interesting point Keith Tracy was on uh, last week and mm. he was saying that I think we were even saying it off air and he's definitely said it on air before it's like you'd be surprised the amount of top level footballers who can't do what you just said Johnny like real basic stuff like get the ball pass the ball keep the ball run mm. and like you say Ferguson does the basics really really well Tracy world, world class ball. basics good football brain I'd say is the, is the so did Keith right. Tracy that that man could play ball. Yeah, yeah. couldn't he? So I almost in, forget. Like, uh, I actually uh, typed him in on YouTube when he was next to me to see if I could find any highlights, but I couldn't find anything of him. But so I do I'm remember playing, him being a, a fantastic So I'm playing for player. Pats, like he was well overweight, he won't mind me admitting at the time in Europe, um, against a decent team, and he was still running the show. She said it this last week, yeah. he said he was in, he was in Fat Club. Mm. Like, he he, he did the You Had To Be There last week. 
Wow. And it was it was very good now. You would enjoy you would have enjoyed mm. that now. I mean you'd enjoy today's one as well. And look the other thing as well is that we had loads of talking points for this morning, all football like we've the WSL last night, Manchester United about to win the league, the Champions League. And this goes to show Ferguson's impact. We read this story and we're like put him up to the top. It's, it's, it has to be like and we had Irish scores last night I should mention. Adam Ida scored for Norwich away in a one all draw at QPR and a couple of Irish scores for Preston as well, albeit they lost four two away to Swansea. Tom Cannon and Troy Parrott both in the score sheet. Yeah. Which is positive. I think Ryan Manning set up one of the goals and it does look like just reading during the week it does look like he is going to depart and um, Russell Martin just seems a massive fan of Ryan Manning and um, it'll be interesting to see if Stephen Kenny brings him back in or where he is in the Ireland setup. but the, 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 the Ferguson one for me Bowes are obviously just waiting and I presume St. Kevin's as well are waiting to see what happens here mm-hmm. because like potentially if, if I, my figures are right Bowes could be on the cusp of making about 10 million from an Evan Ferguson move because yeah. I think if, if you were saying call him the figure and dance piece was 40 million like does, he's worth yeah. far more than that I mean let's be honest like he's he's not even physically there yet um, and his performances considering his inexperience I'm not sure like is Evan Ferguson like, I don't like anyone comparing him to Erling Haaland because that's ridiculous <laughs> but he's worth a lot more than 40 million well Kian Rowe was messaged in on the YouTube and please keep the comments coming in on the show this morning he says resident Dubai listener lads morning Kian or what time is it in Dubai it's, they're ahead of us aren't they yeah it'd be about um, four hours this. heading for the early afternoon I suppose uh, in today's inflated market with a lack of old school number nines what does Ferguson sell for 80 million-ish is not tough to imagine it's it's funny he says old school. There's a lot of old school in him, but um, his touches like I, I actually would. I think I think um, from watching both of them this season, whatever I've seen, I think Ferguson's probably a better player outside the box than Haaland. I think his touches are actually better. Yeah, um, Haaland has pace that Ferguson probably would never have. That's the one thing. But but he's an old school number nine. But he's so much so much quality to his game. I think as well outside the box and really intelligent and makes makes. Makes runs that look simple but aren't, I think. The thing I got gathered from Evan when I interviewed him uh, at the end of last year was he, he has a confidence that just belies his age. He's like, it's almost like an arrogance. Still, the way in, in interviews, Erling Haaland definitely has an arrogance, mm. which, which he maybe need to be that good. Evan is, is just on the precipice of, of having that arrogance, uh, and you can sense that the more interviews he does and the more he plays first team football, he, that arrogance and confidence is going to be a, um, on the increase, and that's a good thing. You know, I want to be, I want to be hearing Evan Ferguson in interviews, being aggressive and, and arrogant and cocky. That he should be. He's a, he's, a, he's number nine in the Premier League. That's not the Irish thing to do, though. Not, well, that's the thing. No, it's not. But, but I, I, no one would blame him because he's a top talent. No, I I think uh, his dad Barry seems to have, um, and his his mother, whose name I don't know. Uh, apologies, I only know Barry's name because obviously he played in the League of Ireland and that. A uh, good friend of Vinny's, but um, I think they've obviously done an amazing job. Um, they're a very sporting family, but. He, he's almost been raised Sarah has the mother Sarah so Sarah and Barry have almost I would say raised Evan with a view to being a professional footballer mm. and they probably at a very early age said most kids want to be a professional footballer it's odds on that Evan will be good enough to at least play as a professional footballer at some level let's raise him accordingly and see what happens with the physique that he has he has the pedigree to be a footballer from um, you know his dad's background as well and He's probably almost been single-minded with that goal in mind, and he's just improved and improved and improved. And I think the tutelage that he had at Kevin's and Bowes, I think for Bowes to put him in a game against Chelsea at 14, I mean, if anything goes wrong there, there, it'll be all over like Joe Duffy, and it'll be like, why are you playing a 14-year-old? It'll be all over the papers, but they knew what they were doing with him. And so did Barry. Uh, A few more comments coming in. Uh, Did you check out the Eclipse, Shane? 
Pink Floyd had some live stream covering it while playing Dark Side in its entirety got up for it see the total solar eclipse was the Australian outback got the best part so I didn't quite make it I'm actually going to go over to America there's a mass, there's a total solar eclipse coming across the United States in 2024 going to go over and see it of course cover your eyes folks and, and don't look directly at the sun um, but yeah that's a, that's a slight um, departure from Thinking the sport this morning Georgie Kelly also scored for Rotherham last night if he stays fit next season he'll score a lot of goals that's from Edward that was actually Tuesday night's game two nights game. ago yeah. yeah a lot of our scores yeah, like encouraging Cannon as well seems to be really um, I haven't seen him play it seems to be really creating waves and I think um, I think Stephen Kenny will be very encouraged by the, those three guys scoring goals they're all on the periphery of, of the uh, of Evan Ferguson's position oh, I suppose yeah. at the moment the uh, WSL you mentioned a column uh, last night Manchester United beating Arsenal by a goal to nail Alessio mm. Russo with a goal mm. lovely assist as well from Nikita Paris if you watch that goal back she moves down the right hand flank and Good pull a back bit, bit of composure to kind of pull the ball back and, and keep the, the heads up football to uh, spot Russo in the middle United now top of the WSL on 44 points from 18 matches Chelsea on 40 points four points off them with uh, 16 games so they have two games in hand mm. Chelsea Arsenal in third on 38 points from 17 games kind of looking like a United-Chelsea title battle United never won the WSL but top three finish in Champions League football for next season is probably um, number one priority if they can win a league that would be brilliant um, but a, a concerning injury for Leah Williamson as well Big time, yeah. That's the, that's the big story out of last night 12 minutes on the clock and England captain went down injured and straight away uh, gestured that it was something significant and Arsenal are having an injury crisis and like our own Katie McCabe she was suspended last night but they have also other injuries like Kim Little and uh, Vivian Miedema um, Beth and, Mead, like, yeah. and Beth Mead and like Williamson was only playing in midfield because of this injury crisis and now she's gone as well so Arsenal are kind of fast emerging as the kind of crisis story of the WSL whereas Manchester United are the, the team on the up and look like they're going to win the league and our own Aoife Mannion she played last night as well for United so yeah. that's another good Irish angle and also the other game last night Brighton beat Everton 3-2 Megan Connolly played the full game for Brighton and uh, Courtney Brasden in goal for Everton too so less than 100 days out for the World Cup concerning for England is that good news for Ireland? I suppose we're not in the same group I don't be begrudging them too much I think they have Haiti, Denmark and China in their group England um, but they yeah, might rally as a result that's the thing this is it but yeah. it's funny in the World Cup you're, you're like constantly watching Irish players in, in, in matches and going just mm. don't get injured Yeah, that's like as you say Evan Ferguson on a Saturday we almost get obsessed when we when we realise we have a talented bunch of players that we're like, please don't get injured. And people making point in the in the comments, um, you know, because he's a big man, Ferguson is, does that make him more prone to injury? I don't know, um, and but but what I do know is that we're watching Evan and we're watching all these Irish players in the WSL as as well ahead of the World Cup with a little bit of nervousness and tension. You can't enjoy it. Yeah, at the same time though, they can't play like that. No, of course like, they have to play like a Kenny training session and just like go heather and tongs, uh, hammer and tongs, and uh, yeah, we're probably. I don't think we need worry necessarily much about England in terms of um, England to be like just a little bit a, a step ahead of us at the moment. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's what I mean things. about it. Um, but yeah, it's a hundred days. Yeah, so like this will come upon us very quickly. Now. Oh yeah, a good deal uh, less. But like we are on McCabe watch, aren't we? Mm. For the, for the whole, yeah, I mean, she recovered from that injury remarkably fast after the Bayern. Uh, collapse which like remember the concern the next morning but like we'll take a suspension all day and as Emma Carroll said beforehand you wish she was suspended for a lot of the rest of the season so <laughs> she's uh, good to go for the World Cup but at the same time like like you said Johnny you kind of need match sharpness and match fitness Absolutely. and take the risk like take the risk of this injury oh, and play sure. high intensity football because you saw the the World Cup at the end of last year it actually benefited like the mm. games like, like that World Cup final you'd forget it's one of the great finals mm. in sporting history mm. and I feel like I really do strongly feel that because it was like a quarter of way into the domestic season 
that mm. players were good to go. Uh, yeah, it's absolutely. A, it's certainly something we'll be keeping an eye on. Denise O'Sullivan, Emma Carroll points out for us. Denise O'Sullivan scored a screamer last night as well. So we're yeah, we're big time on Irish uh, player watch at the moment. Um, Champions League action last night. It's funny. Like ordinarily, if there was a Champions League quarterfinal second leg, we'd be straight trying to get to it at the top of the show. But it's just it hasn't really materialised the, the Champions League last year this year. Now I'm looking forward to the to the Man City Real Madrid game and, and the Milan derby and the other semi final as well. But it just feels like the quarterfinals. Maybe didn't light up the way we, we had hoped. Everyone was eyeing up this City Bayern game as gonna be a cracker, but four one in aggregate and quite comfortable last night for City. I, I think I think Frank Lampard getting the job, um I don't think it, it helped Chelsea's chance of turnout. Like I don't think Real Madrid are actually really that good. Like they're really they're, they're no, but you can get at them. Like you can. I mean, Man City. If Man City don't win the Champions League now, Pep should nearly give up. Like this is they, they've man, they've Real Madrid to beat, and Real Madrid have very good players, but they're r- still very reliant on two lads essentially in their mid to late thirties. Like and they do cough up chances. Like Chelsea should have scored. Two or three, really, on Tuesday night, mm. um, and Chelsea are no good at the moment. Like they, okay, they put in a, a good shift, but they, um, I think, if if they'd stayed loyal um, to the manager and just given him a bit of a chance, because they, they they weren't playing badly in Europe, and they gave themselves a chance at two 0 get the first goal. But Lampard, I don't think he's inspiring confidence in the players. Mm. Um, for me, I, I I I felt once they conceded, the game was over. They had no real confidence in front of goal. The game last night was kind of I think that was gone. Um, Sane, if Sane scores that, I thought the first half was very good. Yeah, if very, Sane very scores, good. I think Man City needed a Bayern goal. Like to it did, but Man City are probably still a little mentally brittle because they've had so many of these bad experiences yeah. in the Champions League. One nil would have made it interesting. Um, again, the the VAR and the penalties. I mean that. Sorry, that Bayern penalty decision is. Yeah, but the Man City one was nearly worse. Like, it's like, that's just not a penalty. I mean, you can't, like, you're doing all you can not to handle the ball. And then, like, it's just a natural thing that his, his hand half moves, and it's never a penalty. And it's. Anyway, and then. Is, I, I, is it just me, or is the, the obsession with handball in mm. the penalty area a modern. Oh, it's taken off. A modern thing. Because I don't remember if you want. Yeah, but even bef- just before VAR came out. Because, like, any time there's any uh, ball delivered, kind of midriff area. You get everyone claiming for a penalty if it hits the opposition anywhere in the body, right? And if you watch games back from 10 to 20 years ago, I don't think it was as prevalent. No, I could be wrong, like, but I feel like it's increasing by each season. It's, there is an absolute obsession with handball. I, I, th- I think it's, it's one of the most stupid rules, honestly. In, if, you, if, if you're anyway playing in a position and trying to make a tackle, your hands are going to move. It's you should be allowed to pick the ball up. Is that what you're saying, Johnny? You should be allowed to handle the ball by not, when you don't intend to handle the ball. And well, I, I think the Liam Gallagher pose is the only way to get out of it. Like, like don't, don't put your hands out like that. Footballers are very good at deceiving, so they can make it look like they didn't intend. If you use your hands... Well, Vinnie Perth might talk about this, because Dundalk were really cruelly denied in 2016 by when they played Leggy at home it was 1-0 in Lansdowne Road and this ridiculous penalty was given against Andy Boyle for his hands that were effectively behind his back falling on the ground like a terrible terrible decision and we, we, there's a lot of controversy about referees at the moment you can't give handball you don't understand the game if you don't realise that players when they're moving and flailing to stop across as you do don't give a handball for that and the, the handballs that were given the handball that Haaland for that penalty that is the most stupid stupid yeah. penalty ever but it was probably now a penalty in the rules well, there is, so you say uh, you don't owe the game if you're given penalties like that but the problem is there's a written rule for the handball mm. so they mm. have to clarify it it's in stupid. the rules it's right? absolutely so stupid. last night watching the replay of the Ilkay Gundogan shot that hits there at Upamecano right? and I'm thinking at the time I was like oh that's on a penalty saw the replay and what I was saying to myself out loud was like oh that's ridiculous but it's a ellipsis but he had to give it yeah. because it hit his arm yeah but if the ref doesn't give it that oh, should, oh yeah but that, sure that's, that was, not, that's, that's not last night's ref's fault yeah. so like the ref last night is like I have to give this 
because he's handling yeah. it. But the handball made absolutely no difference, really, to the trajectory of the shot. Mm. Like, the key, Sommer was going to save that Gundogan shot, like, unless it was a Tim Flowers-style howler from back in the day. <laughs> he was going to catch that ball. So hitting it in Meccano's arm didn't actually affect the outcome of the ball, which is really what a handball should be. If it affects the outcome of where it's going, but yeah. you can't write that down. No, because that's a, a that's a huge grey area. Handball should be if I if there was no intention of me <coughs> handing the ball, and I more or less did my best not to have my hands in an unnatural position. It's not a handball. That was the rule back in the day, and that was that was yeah. quite. You're talking about a split second from the ball being hit to hitting his hand, and then they showed in slow motion, and his hands vaguely move. Purely natural, and he's doing everything he can. He's doing everything he can not to handle the ball, and his hands purely naturally move a little bit. It hits his hand. That's never a penalty if, if you know anything about football. Yet it is a penalty. It is a penalty. Which that's ridiculous. How, ever, how, 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 how could you write that rule? How could you mm. concisely write the rule that you're the talking old about rule there? was like? If there's no intention, it's not a handball. It's yeah, but how do you how do you uh, deem what intention is? It's, uh, that's up to the discretion of the referee. And hey, why don't we let the referees actually call the game? Johnny, like, get, like off the the get off the fence. Get off the fence. The handball thing is just oh. ridi- it's so ridiculous. And Vinny, Vinny's, Vinny should be able to recall that because if Dundalk had gone into Warsaw one nil down, yeah. as they should have, they were one nil up with ten men. One that would have been one all with twenty minutes to go. Like that was one of the most stupid handballs. Remember Lee Carsley was against Turkey back in the day. Another one. It was like ah. Like West Ham had an absolutely crucial win there the other week away to Fulham one nil. Yeah, and the build up was a handball by Sufa, mm. the right back. So that's like you arguably say David Moyes' job, you know those mm. little things. But for like for that instance, that for me was a clear handball and a free out to Fulham because his handball changed the direction of the ball, so it changed the play. And therefore, if his arm wasn't there, the ball would have continued behind. But your him. arm is there, like so. If you want to like tie people's hands behind their backs, but you can't handle like that, it. That's fine. You can't handle it. But your, your so arms are there. So if it if it affects where the ball is going, if it changes the direction of the ball, then it has to. Then be it has, that's you should be penalised for that. No. My my opinion about Upa Meccano last night was it made no difference. Mm. So I was like this, but he had to give Go it because his arm the was out. Rules where it was if you didn't intend to handle the ball, it's not a handball. Simple as that. If the ball hammers me in the head, I didn't intend to be knocked out. Why it do you? Happened, why right? do you think they? Change the rules. I don't know. I mean, they have a lot of stupid rules now. I don't know. Like there had to be a reason for it because um, there was too many handballs that were not being penalised that were, that were affecting the, the results of the game. Yeah, no, but if, if, if the ref has the discretion, he actually kind of knew what he was doing there, and it's debatable. That's fine because ref, we're going to have debatable decisions. But you can't be handling the ball on the basis of a split second hitting his hand when he was trying not to handle it. Also, the frustrating thing he about was literally this trying is that not to handle the ball. The, the rules are so strict, right? That almost every top level game now, the big talking point the next day is a decision mm. or a non-decision. And you, it seems to me it's increasingly rare that you're talking about a tactical nuance in yeah. the game and you're really like, oh, this big decision that changed the game. Kick-based, so Upa Meccano, a straight red card that was ruled out for offside. Mm. So that was delayed. By the so way, Upa Meccano has forgotten how to play football over those two legs. Yeah. So he just didn't have yeah. clue. It was the it. Ireland game, really, where he's affected ah, yeah. Ferguson messed <laughs> and, and then that, so the handball decision is another one. And then should Bayern get a penalty, like you said, Johnny, at the end of Shearburn? Like, okay, that's another decision. So that's the big thing, the decisions. But really, we should talk about the back and forth in the first half. Sorry. Where Bayern really had a go, and we're destroying Man City in the flanks. We do have a couple of comments, backs, they couldn't deal with it. We have a couple of comments on the handball issue. 91 Devo says, agrees with you, Johnny. These wishy- wishy-washy handball calls are ruining the game. Both calls last night were a joke. Uh, Bobby Dwyer, and I kind of agree with Bobby here, he says, the referee has to ask himself, do I think the defender is deliberately trying to gain an advantage by handling the ball? There's always going to be subjectivity and ambiguity about it, which is fair. 
wear Shane, that, a that straight jacket that for all players, old, says Pete. That was the old rule. It was like, if you didn't intend to handle it, it wasn't a handball. And it was very, very simple. And 90% of the time, there was no intention. Now, you can't block a cross going like this, right? Mm. But if you block a cross like this and you're trying to keep your hands, it's not a handball. And these things, and then they showed in slow motion. And it's like, nothing happens in slow motion, by the way. It did not happen in slow motion. Now, it, now it, technically, it's a handball. It's a stupid rule made up by people who don't understand the game, like. What they do, they, they, like, if you're leaving up to the discretion of the referee, then you're basically, like, you're exposing the ref so they can get huge Wait, abuse, right? No, they, but you're that's, exposing, that's why, that's but they're doing it to, to they're, they're almost protecting the referees, like, this referees, is the rule, just follow hey, that rule. Referees like making decisions. That's why they became referees. They didn't become referees to defer to VAR. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Referees like to make decisions. That's why they're doing their job. I and if they get it wrong, they get it wrong. I think they like to be seen to be consistent like, and fair. They like keeping fair. Rather than making decisions. But, but decisions will be subjective and that's why we're here talking about them. But not this stupid handball rule. I would say there's no I'd say there's no writing in the rules of football that it's up to the discretion of the referee anymore. Almost, mm. almost none. Mm. Uh, the subjectivity has to be outlawed in the new rules, I'd imagine. Aside from Especially the, if you live in a VAR world. Aside from the handball issue, right? Haaland takes the goal very well. He mi- ha- right by a collector's edition, by the way. Haaland missing a penalty. Yeah, because by the way, was it the first and thirteen? Was it? <laughs> it took about four and a half minutes for the penalty to be taken, yeah. mm. and uh, Goretzka got away with some nice mm. shithousery by saying to the ref, "Oh, did you see that little object there?" That. It was like, "So why would he care about that?" Yeah. And the ref was like, "Oh yeah, cool, thanks for that, nice <laughs> one." <laughs> what a move! What a move! They were a little bit rougher the first object? half. That, that's the thing, and I do wonder. Can Real just do them again and get at them mentally? Because City should win this game. Simple as they're better players. They have better. Um, they've Haaland, but I'm I'm still not sure. A man once told me I once interviewed a man called Captain Gene Cernan, who's a hero of mine. Last man to walk on the moon, back to space. I remember that? Yeah. Uh, literally have a quote of his tattoo. The don't moon we? belongs to America. It does. We're talking yeah. about uh, Jessica Harrington Moon later on, but we'll get to that uh, terrible segue. But moon with an e. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, essentially. This man told me he was trying to describe it, the fact that you know I, 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 people look at me differently because I walked on the moon, and this. But but they don't realise I bleed when I cut myself. I put my trousers on one leg at a time, and that's what I was thinking when Haaland blazed the penalty over last. And I was like, oh, you he, thought of he's actually. I thought of that quote. I was like, he is actually human. Mm. Haaland bleeds when he cuts himself, just like us. He uh, puts his trousers on one leg at a time. Do you know he is actually not a robot. But forty-eight goals this season. Forty-eight goals. Channeling but still, his, he can uh, miss penalties. Channeling is Luke Davenport. Do you get mm. the reference? I don't get the reference. Please, just, please explain. Do you get the reference? No. Harchester United in Dream Team signed Luke Davenport, and I think he scored about fifteen goals in his first five games. Then his eye fell out, and he had to retire from football. And Haaland's the best thing since Davenport. I wow. think that is a great reference point. Harchester United for the game that was in, on in Talca Park. Oh yeah, the same day. As Shamrock Rovers were playing bows in what is the biggest Irish, uh, certainly the biggest derby in the Republic of Ireland, and there were more at the Harchester game in Tolka than went to watch bows and Rovers, which was probably the nadir for the League of Ireland compared to the, if not utopia, um, the way it is now, which is certainly the best buzz it's been since I started supporting it. Mm. Someone says it took less than two minutes for Johnny Ward to mention League of Ireland. No, no that, that's the first mention, is it? Well, we have a League of Ireland slot this morning as well, if any person. And I mentioned them all. Deservedly so. Also, yeah. I'm just going to um, set this up for the Vinny chat. Please do. When Vinny comes in, but uh, we were talking pre-show and the word cool was used to describe the League of Ireland now. And so we had a bit of a debate about when exactly it became cool to support the League of Ireland. Some people thought it was quite a while ago. Some people thought it was more recent. But it does feel like it is kind of the place to be increasingly. And there is a nice association 
increasingly so in my opinion with the League of Ireland there is Jonathan Gabay was brought over why to, is that is the question I suppose why is that uh, a journalist rang me from this parish actually uh, to get a quote on that yesterday I don't really have the answer I think there are a myriad of issues but yeah. partly I think it is because it's not the Premier League it's not it's, we don't have like state owned teams beating each other do you think that's what it is that people uh, are becoming disillusioned with the um, we, we've come out of the pandemic in a great the four things I would say I don't are, think that's it I don't. I don't. Well, think, I, I think I'd, be, I'd be interested. How can I relate to? How can I relate to Newcastle beating um, Manchester? City yeah, but if you're, what, a, what, if you're what, an Irish uh, Newcastle fan in the eighties and nineties, you're still a Newcastle fan. What today. are your four mm. things there, Johnny? The four things for me are um, social media has been massive. Uh-huh. Like the social media, you're bombarded with League of Ireland stuff on social media every day. Now, whether you like it or not, yeah. if you're in that circle, all for free. I, I have a love relationship with social media, but it's been amazing for the League of Ireland. Um, the underage teams coming in, right? So if you have 14s, 15s, 17s, 19s, that's about 100 people straight away who are now involved in the club. They have boyfriends, girlfriends, they have parents, they have friends that are in, necessarily now talking about the League of Ireland. A lot of them are going to games. You have the women's leg of it coming in, which has become massive as well, more or less a broader part of what. I was saying Brexit and all these young players playing in it has made it really interesting and you know what the, 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 the last thing is maybe the most important thing is it's bloody good standard and it's very good to watch at times now it's really like every game in the Premier Division is very watchable the standard of the game between Shells and Shamrock Rovers was sensational at times last Friday like yeah. and anyone who watched that game would have been proud to say that um, they were at that game I, it was good I watched I, it it was good yeah. I don't feel like the rise in the League of Ireland has to do with um, Irish fans of English teams getting disillusioned with you don't, state takeovers. You don't think or, so? I, not no, a chance. No, really? not so much not that. But it's like young people have have options now of maybe going to a League of Ireland game or or, or being overly invested in an English team. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure they are as much anymore. There's a lot of people. Maybe are, I'm wrong. There's a lot of people now. I find people who are who follow teams over in England who now follow League of Ireland teams as well. And yeah. they, look, you don't have to. They're not mutually exclusive. You can you can support the League of Ireland and still go over to England and yeah. watch Liverpool or Manchester United or Celtic or wh- whoever. Like the, people seem to feel there seems to be this split that's like you have to pick one. You have to pick one. You and can't there, support there Man United and Pats. There isn't really any more. Like yeah. I don't think like not well. The League, of Ireland, like to think the League of Ireland fans aren't as insecure as they were as well. In that, like um, I, I just think now so many people are going to games. There are people putting stuff on Instagram that I know last Friday at the Bowes game I was like I didn't I can't believe A that you're at League of Ireland game and B that you're promoting the fact you're at League of Ireland game on social media it has because it has cool. become cool do, uh, do you think there is an increase in interest in the League of Ireland oh, would sure. you agree with that yeah, yeah, yeah. and why would you disagree that it is a disillusionment with the uh, the game abroad I just don't, I don't think there's any uh, what, you, what do you think in other words what do you think the reason is for the increase in interest it is it's it's everyone can see the League of Ireland now it's it's on TV more the attendances are up the ticket I think TV that much no but th- I think that I think it's been as you said Johnny it's been promoted social media is where we're all seeing it like social media it has become the cool thing you're, I'm like I kind of live where I am in Smithfield is probably halfway between Bows and Pats and my housemates are, and, and me are like oh, we have to who are we going to pick do you know but it's like cause you, <laughs> you just got, you go to the nearest team yeah. Uh, yeah. like I obviously can't support Monaghan United anymore in the League of Ireland unfortunately um, you a ball boy in Gort Keegan back I was day. back in the day yeah, see, yeah, the, yeah. the next step for the League of Ireland column is the like of Monaghan United coming back and being given the um, financial incentives from the league which don't exist at the moment to come back because it still makes mm. very little sense for a first division club Kerry are doing an amazing job but the pitfalls are huge we need Monaghan Kilkenny we need teams in Cavan Port Leash Mayo we need teams to make it a genuine national league because it still isn't and I think that's the next step as well as obviously um, facilities 
yeah, we'll hundred percent uh, get to more of that with any person because it's an interesting conversation. Like uh, the the standard is good, Shane. That's the main yeah. thing. If you bring somebody like when I when I was a League of Ireland fan initially. It was it was hard to sell it because if you watch a game on TV, particularly relative to a Premier League game at the time, it was shite. Like let's be honest, it was poor. It was hard to watch. It just isn't now. But All the also, teams are playing football. It's also having names like Damien Duff managing teams. One hundred percent. That's like, another thing. The coaching levels I think are outstanding. Like one hundred percent, really good. And and the other thing, Colin, these these coaches are in Ireland now. They're not in England. The jobs just aren't there in England. They're not even in the. They're not like Stephen Bradley could have gotten the Lincoln job, but other than that, they're not even li- listed in, as as being potential. And now you have Stephen O'Donnell, Stephen Bradley, Damien Duff. Colin Healy um, Rory Higgins Stephen O'Donnell Tim Clancy all these young managers in the League of Ireland yeah, and I do agree with your point that you've made before Johnny where you're saying you know there have to be more teams teams in Mayo teams in Monaghan teams in Tip counties and areas that don't necessarily are, are not represented necessarily by League of Ireland teams and for young kids Shane if yeah you, 100% say if, you, if, if young Shane Hannan is like if not going to become the next Evan Ferguson, he's the Evan Ferguson of. I tried my of, best. Of, yeah, if you're the Evan Ferguson of County Monaghan, right? You need like you need to go beyond Monaghan Town and say I need to play underage level now. And I think Monaghan Cavan, I think there might be a team up there, but I need a good underage system to bring me to the next level in my locality rather than having to go to Dublin like the old days. Yeah, it's 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 geography, isn't it? Because everyone people were saying to me, oh, sure, when Monaghan United finished up, oh, sure, go and sport Dundalk. But I was like, I was like, Dundalk were literally Monaghan's closest rivals. Yeah, yeah. so you can't do that. Yeah, you know, like, and I, and I, but I do watch Dundalk matches now and wish them all the best and, and actually hope that they do well. But it's not like you can move to the near, next. It's not like a, you know, a Bose fan is going to go and support Pats or Rovers if Bose went out of existence. That just that's not the way it works. We we, we were in for time immemorial in this country. We were generally indoctrinated and brought up in the Catholic Church, and we just went to mass and didn't think about it. Right? It's the same with Gaelic games. Right? We're brought up, and this county thing is is completely enshrined in our head. I'm from Galway, and I'm never going to support like Mayo, Sligo, Roscommon. That's fair enough, though. So, and that does seep into like League of Ireland mindset. And if you're from, say, if you're from Mayo, it's just hard for Mayo people to support Galway United because they hate Galway in football. So why would I? Yeah. And that's completely natural. It's not natural for you to want to support Dundalk if you used to go to Monaghan United games. Yeah. Sorry, that's not natural at all. They were our rivals. Exactly. I want to support a Monaghan United team back in the League of Ireland. 100%. With Monaghan players. Yeah, and that's the way to look at it. Uh, listen, we'll get back into this with, uh, with Vinnie Perth, as we said. He'll be in with us uh, in around 20, 20 minutes' time or so. We're going to uh, get to Gaelic Games after the break with uh, Shane Curran and Michael Meehan. Big game in the Connacht Senior Football Championship semi final to look forward to this weekend. It's at the Hyde, Roscommon versus Galway. Uh, during the ads, though, first, a clip from the latest episode of The Hurling Pod, where listeners laid down a challenge to All-Ireland winners Paul Murphy and James Skell to pick the five best players in the country the Hurling Pod with Borgosh Energy proud sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship and the Legends Tour Series taking place in Croke Park back in a sec OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off The Ball Six minutes past eight on this Thursday morning's OTBM with myself and uh, Johnny Ward. It's time to talk Gaelic games because a huge weekend in the Connacht Senior Football Championship. We've got both semi-finals, Sligo and New York, of course, on Saturday. And then we've got Galway against Roscommon in the Hyde on Sunday afternoon. Delighted to be joined by the former Roscommon goalkeeper Shane Curran and the former Galway sharpshooter Michael Meehan on the show this morning. Morning, lads. How are things? Good, Shane. Good morning. Good morning, fellas. Good morning, Michael. How are you? Thanks for joining us, lads. Uh, we, 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 I just wanted to briefly get touch the, on get the pleasantries out of the pleasantries way. Pleasantries out of the way. Yeah, yeah. It was very, 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 very coerced out of the last. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We'll yeah. get the boxing gloves on now in a yeah. second. Uh, first of Sligo, Sligo winning the uh, Connacht Under Twenty Football Championship, defending their title last night in Chum. Uh, lads scoring the last few points of the match to, to nick it by a point, fourteen points to thirteen over Galway. Points scored deep into injury time from Dylan Walsh. Heartbreak for Galway and uh, Michael. Let's 
it's changing the shape of, of Connacht football possibly over the next few years, is it? Yeah, to be fair to Sligo, they've um, they've had a lot of success this year already at underage with their schools, Summerhill making the Hogan Cup final. And and again, last night, now I didn't get to see it, I was training underage girls myself at, at home with my own little one. But, um, do you know, I suppose if you think back to their senior success at provincial level over the years, that was just kind of hither and thither. Um, now they're sort of building something maybe from, from the bottom up. Um, so, yeah, they seem to be going about things the right way. So the... <laughs> The rest of us have to kind of keep an eye on things. That said, you know, Galway have been very successful and very competitive at this level for a number of years. Um, and Roscommon in bits as well have, have been in and out of it there. So it's good to see Connacht teams typically when they get into the All-Iron Series uh, at under-20 level can represent uh, the province very well. So we, we wish them well at this stage. These underage girls, by the way, are, they, are you like an absolute icon or do they even uh, remember you playing? <laughs> Oh, geez, no. This is my daughter's team here. Uh, under six, seven, and eight in, in Caltra, Johnny. Up You're just some outlet then. Embarrassing dad. That, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> embarrassing dad. <laughs> Hashtag embarrassing dads, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's got to be done, I suppose. Uh, it's got to be done, for sure. And and uh, listen, uh, keep, keep a lit with that as well, because uh, the future yeah. is bright, no doubt, in Caltra. Um, we should get into the, the game this weekend, lads, on Sunday. And, and look, Sligo fans might think of New York fans as well, that were bypassing them. But uh, realistically, we do want to focus on, on the Galway-Roscommon match at the Hyde on uh, on Sunday afternoon. Um, Shane, Roscommon's last championship win over Galway in the Hyde, 1990. So it's uh, it's been a while. It's, it's quite quite a time ago, um, but then you know all these um, hoodoos are, are are there to be broken. I think that's one of the one of the great things about sport. I think um, we hadn't beaten Galway and Mayo in the championship in in in, uh, in the same year up until two thousand and nineteen, you know, almost twenty years as well. And we've now probably been more successful in Castlebar against Mayo than we have been at home. So all these things change and, and that being said we're up against the Galway team that are huge huge uh, favourites uh, if you go by the by the bookies and they're very seldom wrong uh, and, and correctly so I mean any team that's coming back off um, been league finalists and uh, they've also been uh, some we know uh, All-Ireland finalists last year and probably should have won the game um, and we're, we're very close to winning it um, so Roscommon will, will uh, notwithstanding the fact that we had a great win against Mayo um, we'll go into the game as huge underdogs Galway major major uh, major favourites and a couple of question marks over some of our players as well in terms of injury so um, th- those are things that are, are uh, all going to play out on the day um, I suppose you know when you look at Galway, the, the amount of quality they have, like even even off the bench, Killian McDade probably won't start. Um, it's it's probably unlikely that, that Damien Comer will start as well. So they are two players, household names that uh, Galway can call off off the bench. We certainly don't have that depth just yet, but are, are working towards it. And um, we'd be hoping for kind of similar to me, oh, that we can... We can control the game. We can keep the game tight and competitive, and uh, maybe then let loose in the last ten minutes. But it's going to be a big ask. And looking out at the weather here this morning, uh, it looks. I think the weekend has promised good. So maybe the environmental issues that we had against um, 
Mayo may not may not be as persuasive to, to us kind of killing the game, but then um you know, you don't know all these championship matches take a life of their own at certain stages as well. If we can be as, as good in front of goal as we were the last day and just take our chances and, and have something to build on, well then uh, the game could go to the wire. Yes, your proper proper words of purity there, killing the game and controlling the game. And I, I must ask you, Shane, how important is it that Roscommon start well? Because um, we saw against Mayo, like if if Galway happened to say get an early goal, it would be three or four points up after ten minutes. You know, they they've been warned about the way Roscommon play. Would you have any faith that Roscommon could come back into the game, or do they need to kind of, as you say, control the narrative early on and get ahead? I think when you're underdogs and you're at home, especially, I think um, controlling the game is, is, is imperative, you know. And uh, if, if you can get the way, one thing we have is we have quality not to down play or, or chances or anything like that, but we have quality forwards and we've, we've had them for quite some time, I think, you know. And in, in um, the brothers Smith and, and Murt are, are well known, and Connor Cox indeed has, has come off the bench, and now Ben O'Carroll is, is adding to that as well. Mm-hmm. So. You know, controlling the game for us, Carmel, is, is key. I think if you're in even the modern game, if you're chasing it, you spend so much energy chasing it that um, it, it can have a debilitating effect on your tours in the matches. And generally, the teams that are, are the stronger players are on the middle third. Um, when you're when you're trying to see out games, they will will do that. And um, in our case, um, I think that for us to get the crowd up, have the crowd on our side, have a kind of a cauldron-like atmosphere in the height, uh, if we get off to the start with a goal maybe and, and uh, certainly control the ball around the middle of the field, which will be difficult with, with Galway's quality, um, then it gives you, it gives you a, a fighting chance. And you know, I think Davey Burke has alluded to it in many of his interviews that it's fierce important now that it was come and get out of Kind of, we did in, in the league the yo-yo element of up and down, but also on the championship, uh, embracing the, the 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 privilege of pressure, um, which comes with these matches and uh, being consistent at this level. You know, I think we can probably now look at the at the Gaelic football um, uh, season has been almost three competitions. So you have the league to start in the middle. Now we have the provincial championships, and then I suppose the real the real. Um, the real comp then starts with the All Ireland series, but a win for us common on on, uh, on Sunday can't be kind of downplayed either because the, the 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 carrot is huge at the end of it. It means you you probably miss out on the top six of Division One teams um, if results go the way in 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 the provinces, which is expected, mm-hmm. and one or two maybe of the the other favourites like Dublin. So um, it's a huge huge fillet. Philip, um, for us to try and beat Galway, you're almost in an All Ireland quarter final uh, if you can do that, and um, that's the sort of pressure that maybe in the past we we uh, we raised, uh, we got to a kind of a glass ceiling with Connacht, and we couldn't get any further in the Super Eights and a couple of bad beatings and, and things like that, and mm. confidence ebbs away. So uh, there's a, there's a lot riding on, on Sunday's game, and uh, for Scotland they'll have to can to see can back back performances in the championship like they did in 2019 um, and, and see then can they, can they win a college championship Michael I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear the, the cute comments coming out of us coming here already uh, huge huge underdogs major yeah. major favourites Galway are you, are you going along similar lines to Shane? Absolutely not and I, I'll, I'll point out as well that I think Roscommon came from four points down in the league in mm. Pierce Stadium a couple of months ago to, to win by a point uh, they finished with the last five scores, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, they, that can 
that'll be drawn back in in dressing room chat and they'll um they'll be recording that as well if they need to this week i think you know roscommon pose a, a huge threat it's um they're a very strong side they're probably got the start they wanted in the league that allowed them to build towards championship in connacht um they got their wins early they secured their um division 1 status early and maybe that allowed them just to kind of stick to plan, plan A, which was, you know, do achieve that. Everything else may be a bonus, uh, but but look towards. They knew at that stage they were going to be playing Mayo, and and if they were to get over that, uh, followed by Galway, and before they could even get to a provincial final. So, I think they are where they want to be. I think they're a very dangerous position from a Galway perspective. Coming into Sunday, uh, confidence would be very high. Uh, they're at home, and I know there is a an issue with their record there, but. Um, you know, it'll be packed to the rafters. There'll be a majority home crowd there, and you know, Galway will have to be on their game. What's the vibe in Galway, Michael, about the way that Porrick has trained them this year? Because it's it's such a, for the for the coaching sort of um, in terms of SNC and workload, it must be quite complex with the championship structure this season to know when to peak and so on. Yeah, and I'm guessing Galway have had as every county, but Galway would have been operating off a similar model whereby. <laughs> You know the league and the league final in the end. Uh, I can't imagine that um, took priority. You mm. know, once that was within striking distance, I still would feel that uh, in the past, you know, teams would have maybe said, "Okay, we're we're heading towards the league final now. We need to back off on the heavy training and we'll keep the legs fresh because there's a chance of of glory here." <laughs> I, I'd imagine now um, the planning is 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 very definitively towards whatever the plan was set out in January or December. And to my mind, that is, you know, kickstarting from now and, and hopefully rolling through the through the summer. As Shane said, there's a phenomenal amount of games coming up in Connacht and beyond that. So uh, my guess is that, you know, that's that's where you're looking towards and, and trying to bring into a, uh, hitting the ground running or, you know, around now. Um, I, I felt in the league final, certainly we didn't hit the ground running early on. And that's probably cost the game or left us along with, with a lot of work to make up. So that's a couple of weeks ago now. I know they were away for five or six days in Portugal. Um, so you'd be hoping they're a bit more primed now to, to start strong on Sunday because they're, they're going to need to. Uh, Kane Johnson does a bit of work with us on, on stats and analysis and, and he's been pointing out as well, Shane, that um, Roscommon's kickouts have been a massive uh, part of their game and certainly you notice that against uh, Mayo and Castlebar. Uh, they went along with 13 of 18 kickouts against Mayo and scored 1-4 off them. Um, so how do you expect Roscommon to, to approach it this time or will, they, will they go for the same approach is it weather dependent or how do you think they'll, they'll fare there well I think very much so there's a conundrum I suppose here with Galway that I think um, Galway probably have the strongest middle east in the country and certainly the, the men mountains I mean if you look at the midfield Paul Conroy and uh, and Young Mahar or Killy McDade whoever starts you have Peter Cook around there you have Johnny Heaney You've got you've got guys can dominate the ball in the air. Um, Mayo's midfield isn't really you know of the quality that Galway have. They're, they're very strong runners, all right, but they're not fielders. And um, I suppose when when, Gal- when Galway look at this match, they, they will be challenging in the Smith and Keith Doyle in the middle of the field for us. Going long, if we're not winning the ball, going short has has proved to be um, problematic. And um, when Mayo pressed us the last day. We looked like we could turn over ball relatively, relatively easy, and uh, you know we don't really have the, the 
dynamic ball carriers. David Murray's brilliant um, supporting the ball going forward, but not necessarily bringing it out. And the same with Conor Daly and, and Conor Hussey. Um, they're very good to support the ball, but bringing it out can prove problematic at times. And I think Jamie Burke has, has said he thought out, get the ball out into the mix around the middle third. Um, if you lose it, at least it's a long way to go. If you win it, you have the bonus of, of kicking it in or getting first phase possession into into really good forwards. Um, but against this Galway outfit, it's a different kind of story. And um, they're just really, really good around the middle third. And, and you know you can't get away from that. When you, when you go to analyse Galway and you say, well, where are their weak spots? Um there isn't that many of them, um, certainly in terms of physical physicality and winning that first phase possession. And, uh, you know, the, the league form, the league final, really, truly, you could argue they were by far the better team outside of the young know, Reek making numerous saves from AO. They could have won that league final by seven, eight, nine points. And Shane Walsh had an off day, maybe from freeze, you wouldn't expect that to happen again. Um, and he's one of the one of the players around the country that one of the top players of the country that you go to see and watch, and uh, that's a problem for us at the moment. Um, you know, you take the positives out of the Mio performance, surely without a doubt. Uh, but I think Galway will be targeting if if Inda Smith is fit and able to play, uh, they will target Inda, I'm sure. Um, and if Roscommon can't come up with that ball in the middle third. Um, it will cause problems for us, and and that's that's just the reality of the game uh, and the way to play. And if we go short, Galway's ability to press, um, can we get out by it? So again, it's, it's probably similar for Galway as well. Um, going short is Roscommon have been quite good to be fair at pressing uh, in the league. They've done very well in carry at that. Um, but it's taxing on the legs and um, some of our lads you know the older lads uh, the longer the game goes the harder that gets gets if you're particularly if you're chasing the game if you have something to fight for um, suddenly you find that energy but if you haven't uh, it can be problematic I got, I have to bring Michael in there Galway could have won the league final by 7, 8 or 9 points I definitely wasn't at the same league final but um, I, I think, uh, maybe, maybe we had about 12 goal chances to miss the one thing Michael though in the game in Pierce, the game in Pierce Stadium you referenced um, obviously Shane wasn't playing and uh, Damien Coleman went off after 10 minutes Killy McDade's come back in now from the league as well so you would think that yeah. Galway shouldn't really have the quality sort of that was common forwards maybe don't have Sunday yeah, Killing McDade, I'm not sure. Um, there isn't a lot of talk, you know, one way or the other about him, and he's missed, missed a lot of time now, so I'm not sure how he's fixed. Um, he was a huge loss in the league final, wasn't he? He is. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a huge loss. He's a massive player in that middle eight that Shane referenced. Just just the pace and power he can go at, he can add, he can he add scores, he, he gives assists, but he's, he's going to work back and protect the back as well. But um, you'd hope, yeah. Like I suppose, Galway, what Galway need is a you know a return to form or, or fitness of of their key players from from last year's All Ireland run. Um, you know, you mentioned them there, Shane and Damien up front, um, Finner, Rob Finnerty up front as well. He's had a stop start mm. league with injury as well. Like they were massive for us, as, as anyone will remember who watched the Galway games last year. They're the, they're the scorers. They're the lads who will knock defenses. We're going to have a very very cagey affair the next day. I, I would hope. A goal happens early for someone. Uh, I think it would it would open the game up a little bit. If if it doesn't happen early, we are going to have a very very tight first half. I, I would feel and and that whatever might happen in the second half, it could open up. But a goal like that could be decisive. So, Galway have those players. I, I have to say the likes of a Ben O'Carroll. You know the Sunday dry sod is going to suit that guy a lot more. Um, he was very slippery when he came on in Pierce Stadium. I, I saw him I'd thread over a one if not two. You know sweet sweet points. So. 
Um, there's a lot of kind of match up matchups that are going to be picked out and, and studied this week by the management teams. Um, you know, Damien Comer and Shane Walsh, if they're on form um, or if they're on the pitch, I suppose we, you know, there's going to be a little bit of um, a little bit of chess being played early on. So I, I, as I said, I'd love a few early scores just for the for the punters watching on to to see the two teams maybe draw them out a little bit sooner than they might naturally. Um, if it's if it's tight, it's probably going to be tied into the second half. What was the narrative at home, Michael, about the game Castle Bar? Because, like, it, it was bad in isolation, but to contrast it then with what we had between Monaghan and Tyrone, it was like this is Gaelic football at its absolute best in terms of drama and scores. And uh, I mean, there were probably people in Roscommon who felt they didn't get the credit they deserved, but it wasn't exactly great football to watch, obviously. No, it, it wasn't. But the conditions were horrific. You yeah, know, from talking to a few people who who were there, and you know, you, you kind of have to factor that in, no matter no matter what you say. And you know, there was chances like Mayo stinging the crossbar early on. You know, thing, things could have changed, but I think the resolve and there was a lot made of a couple of the pictures of the Roscommon players. You know, the unity in, in their backline. Um, you know, when they turned over Mayo ball and things like that. Um, it was a lot. Just it was. It was a. There was a no yielding feel to it as you watched it go on. And, and yes, they got to score crucial scores at the right time, and that's what inevitably just gave them more confidence. Maybe sapped Mayo's energy a little bit, or sapped Mayo's belief, um, and it just fed into it. But like they, they were very, very good for it. And, and, and even though there was times when Connor Carroll at the back was being pressed and it was looking a little bit scary. Um, you know, Mayo were, were putting them under that pressure. They still just rode it out and, and they finished and they kicked on and they finished with a couple of scores strong. Cox off the bench, you know, again, he, he's going to be a dangerous man if he's in the fray at whatever stage in the game the next day. So they were, you know, they were good for that. Um, I think they, maybe they needed it a little bit more than Mayo. I don't know, but um, I think what we're, what, it sets us up nicely for, for a big game this weekend. Davy Burke has been very refreshing as well in, in, in what he's brought to the to the league so far. And whether he has a surprise up his sleeve for what Galway want to do, uh, who knows. But, um, you know, we're in for a good game. And I, I hope with the weather, a couple of early scores and um, just see, you know, let, let's, let's give us something good to watch. Yeah, love, love the comment in from John here. Shane Curran, well drilled by Davy Burke for this interview. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going along similar lines to Michael. I hope it's not a 98 like the league. I hope it's good quality game of football. But regardless, yeah. lads, uh, very briefly, prediction time. Uh, Michael, we'll start with yourself. Who's going to win and, and roughly by how much? If Galway are going to win, it's it's going to be... We're going to see the, the players that we expect to play, play well. Play, first of all, and play well and, 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 and lead them. Um, I remember Shane scored a spectacular goal here in the similar same fixture last year, and you know was was, was solid from play as well. So I think I, I'm, I'm assuming that Galway have have their main men on the ground and they're fit and fresh. I, I think we'll squeeze over the line by a couple of scores, uh, two points, you know. But if if there's no Damien Comer, if there's no uh, Killian McDade, um, if Shane Walsh isn't influential in the game, then it goes the other way. Shane, what about yourself? It's hard to argue with Michael's synopsis there, to be fair. You know, I think the two best players we've had, the two best players in the league for, for um, either team will, will fill both pivotal positions on, on Sunday. Uh, Sean Kelly for Galway and, and Brian Stack for Roscommon at fullback and centre-back, respectively. I think if we can get the matchups right, um, I'm not so sure if Conor Daly will pick up Shane Walsh or or, um, or or Brian Stack will pick him up um, and who picks up Donny Smith maybe will, will have an influence as well for Roscommon. Um 
the hard scissors coming up. Obviously, the, the head would say, "Look, Galway are the better team. Galway are, are the team that have been in all Ireland's. Galway are the team that are have the design on all Ireland's. Galway are the team that are Paddy Power's huge favourites for for the game." But as I said, these games take on a, a life of their own, and should Roscommon give the supporters the, the opportunity to get behind the team in the hide? Well, then an arrow victory can sue for Roscommon, but it will be dependent on all of the players. Um, striving for that that level of consistency that's required, and and uh, I think if we get that, um, we'll have a great game. And look, I think the the, the conditions and the environment did play, play a huge part, as, as Michael alluded to there, and in the Mio game and the quality of it. Both teams here have got quality players, and uh, let's just hope that that the game, the day is a good day, and we see the best of them. And I think we will. And Roscommon to to. Um, to, to kind of just get over the line maybe by a point or two uh, should all be all be well yeah you take that listen lads great stuff looking forward to the match enjoy it I know the wiser as to who either of them fancies actually <laughs> they went from like I'm saying such and such but <laughs> actually what will they, they say in the dressing room if I say <laughs> this yeah, yeah, I don't know they, once, once a player always a player like. <laughs> anyway. great stuff lads thanks <laughs> for that this morning ok boys good luck brilliant stuff Michael Meehan there former Galway uh, what a great he, he, he did use Jake the word Kearney, of course. he said great Philip and he said Philip by mistake oh, he was a fillet of a footballer a fillet or whatever you want to call it what a player like and yeah, uh, footballer. now passing on the uh, knowledge to uh the underage girls in, in Caltra. 100%. That game, 4 o'clock Sunday, and then, of course, we'll know who's, uh, who they'll face in the college final before that, because Saturday, half past two, Markievicz Park is Sligo against New York in the other semi final. The first semi final, that is. Now, 8.28 a.m. on this Thursday morning, so to be, and we will be uh, hosting a live UEFA Champions League roadshow very soon in partnership with Just Eat. It's coming your way on the 3rd of May in the Mansion House in Dublin. We'll be joined by UEFA Champions League winners John O'Shea and Wes Brown, along with Arsenal legend Paul Merson. It is sure to be a brilliant night's entertainment. This is an exclusive off-air event. Tickets are limited, so don't delay. Go to offtheball.com forward slash events and we will see you on the night. Just Eat, the official food delivery partner of the UEFA Champions League. We'll have Vinnie Perth in studio up next to talk League of Ireland. But first, Kenny Cunningham joined Joe Malloy on last night's football show. Take a look. What a good defender uh, Wes Brown was, I've got to say. Probably doesn't get mentioned enough no. in dispatches. He had a long career there, didn't he? No, he, he burst on the scene. I was doing Michael Richards thing. But he burst on the scene the treble year. Yeah. In a big way, as he backup to Gary Neville. He played a lot of games. Many games did he play, Joe, would you reckon? Uh, I don't know. He had a lot of bad injuries. He had a lot of bad injuries, you're right. But what a, what a, if he uh, hadn't had the injuries, I think we're talking about a very different career. Yeah, he was a great defender, though. Um, he's hard, you know what I mean? Fast as well. Yeah, yeah. No, he's brilliant. When he, I mean, that 99 season when he got to stop saying burst on the scene but the predictions were big and I think he might have done his cruciate yeah he did have a few bad ones you're right set him back well, hadn't, you know, he wasn't that kind of ball playing type which a number of them have been over the years you know the like, obviously the likes of Ferdinand and um, he played 232 times for Manchester United however he was there from 90 yeah Six to 2011 he was there right he, I mean he hung around for all yeah, the that's injuries that's insane like yeah yeah I was a, was a fine player fantastic um, centre yeah Kenny Cunningham there joining Joe Malloy on last night's football show at uh, just approaching half past eight in this Thursday morning's OTBM delighted to have in studio with us Vinny Perth how are things Vinny? good morning how are you all good uh, we show- looking off the referee from the leg you to talk oh, we were talking the leg of Warsaw game so Johnny was uh, he actually has the moaning handball the handball rule earlier What's your, what are your views here? yeah I'm, like it's funny I'm still not over that that decision and um, it's little things like that when you come out again because that was 
Um, and who knows? But we were one nil down, I think, at the time, and then that that decision sort of shifted the whole tie to Legia. Remember, that was a playoff for group stage Champions League football in Viva Stadium, and then we went over there and we took the lead. Sensational Robbie Benson goal, and then they had a man sent off. But that goal was pivotal in the tie, and Andy Ball's hands were actually. Yeah, I'm on radio it's here, on but the ground, it like. couldn't it couldn't be any more behind his body. And um, but again, it's funny um, when you watch the game back and you listen to people in studio. It was a debatable decision. That's where some of this stuff is so grey area. Grey area. It wasn't debatable from from our perspective or a lot of Andy people. Boyle. Andy Boyle. That's not debatable. That's not debatable. But but uh, there was people in studio that night who said, "Oh, we can, it was a handball." So what, if you, if you want to fall backwards on the ground. What are you going to do? Put your hands up in the air? I mean, like people, you have to realise that your hands move in a football game. Yeah, and very seldom, as you know, do I agree with you. Well, I agree with you on this stuff is... <laughs> we have another 20 minutes here, like. When you, time to disagree. Well, yeah. when you, the, the problem I have with VAR is, I think it's been a real help in, in different situations, but referees should not be allowed to see anything in slow motion. Mm. Right, because I've no problem with the two handballs being given or not given last night. If if that happens on the pitch, but when you slow stuff, nothing happens in slow motion. What if a player deceives very quickly? Then the slow motion is necessary to determine if that's happened. Yeah, but but the whole point of it, the football game doesn't happen in slow motion. So in terms of offsides, it's very clear someone's either offside, and we don't like how close it's getting. But it's black and white. If if he had an armpit offside and he can score a goal with that armpit. He's offside, so that's black and white, no issue with that. Takes a little bit longer than we would like, but other stuff is just played in, in, in real time, and that's it. And you shouldn't be allowed to see stuff in slow motion. I'm just completely against that part of it, because the game's played at speed, and uh, trust the referees a little bit. Mm. The other conversation we had earlier was that the League of Ireland has become cool, I think, Johnny, is the is that the phrase we're going with? I mean, it's hard to argue yes. that. It's pe- there are people now going to League of Ireland matches, as Johnny said, that you would never have seen going to the League of Ireland matches. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's a mixture of, of that. I think some clubs have done it really well. There's, there's a niche around balls. There's also a, a certain niche around St. Pat's in terms of people going. But somewhere like um, somewhere like out in Tallow, the job the Shamrock Rovers have done, mm. that's, not, that's not necessarily about being killed. That's about something in the area for people who genuine like Tala should be a real hotbed of soccer never mind Shamrock Rovers element we should be able to develop football after football out of that area and even if you think about Richard Dunn Killen Arden um, Robbie Keane Feather Kern the, um, the, the Irish international manager is to give you people listening from around the country was born within a mile of Tala Stadium Stephen Bradley the league champ um the, the current league, league winning manager was born within a mile of that stadium and the under 21 manager Jim Crawford was born within a mile of that stadium you had Richard Dunn there's so many good players so but it's about um, and if that I believe and the FEI have, have done a lot of work in that area but that should be places like that should be hotbeds for our soccer and it's starting to happen not there yet but when when you go to uh, what, what I love about going to a Rovers game is um 
the fact I get lots of stick helps me. I like that. But <laughs> when you're walking, you see people coming out of, again. You get much people, stick at the Rovers games. Yeah, yeah, still a little bit. It's great, though. It's good. It's good fun. <laughs> it, wa- it was too far the other way, but now it's just good fun. But you see people coming out of, and again, I understand people listening won't know these areas, coming out of Kilnard and Jobstown, Springfield, mm. Time and North, and you see them walking the game, parents and kids. Like the and old for, days, yeah. for me, that's huge. Mm. Like, I used to get a, on a bus down to Harold's Cross to watch Pat's for argument's sake. Or, or get a lift over to Richmond Park and when I see people walking and that's real that's how England is so good at what they do because the stadiums are in towns a lot of the time you, yeah. you go to Goodison you're you're walking in particularly if you stand on the Gladys Street and you you could have a cup of tea like within uh, 20 yards of, of uh, putting your ticket through a turnstile of, in someone's house so I think that's usually important but it, it at the same time um they're small enough numbers in terms of like Drogheda is selling out now but it's small enough in terms of capacity so we have to sort of we can't take these people are turning up for granted and I go back to a couple of weeks ago the heavens opened up in Dublin people travel from Derry City That's the so best awful. fans in the world I'm telling you they're, they're brilliant in terms of yeah. how they sing mm. um, and if, if I'm going to a Derry game I'll sit near them for the bit of crack and listen to mm. them but they stood out in the rain for her and I mean After rain, three and a half hours, stood out in the rain for another two hours and then sent back up to Derry. So we've got to look after these people and don't take them for granted. That's the thing, and the stats came out this week. So attendances for Premier Division games up by 27% in the opening nine games of the season. That will come as no surprise to anyone. More than 55,000 as well have attended uh, First Division games so far this year with the average attendance going up again. But that's the, the issue that this money needs to be invested in the, in the Yeah, and, and go back to, say, Leinster Rugby, who are you know one of the top rugby teams in, in Europe... Um, their attendances weren't always as high as you know you can sell out the Aviva in the next couple of weeks but you could quite easily get a ticket for um, um, the, the st- what's the stadium RDS and then all of a sudden it takes off so momentum will come and I think League of Ireland is ready to take off to go to another level just make sure we have to have some of the facilities in place and when you watch um, Rovers and Shells you don't know for me I've watched a lot of shells this year and when I watched that game you're looking at some people are going Shelburne are a really good football team well of course they're technically very good but they're playing on a really good stadium a really good pitch and people go on about TV courage, coverage and all that stuff just get the basics right football mm. pitches first and this country aren't good enough yet and then um, the rest and the stands and, and the whole lot and the whole lot will come together and we're slowly getting there that game as well Vinny like um, and the, the producer in the studio who's looking after the cameras he pans to the sideline and there you have like Joey O'Brien and Damien Duff yeah it's brilliant uh, these are in their infancy in terms of management On this TV. is a big yeah. big deal for them this is everything to them at the moment these are Premier League players and they're managing shells who are essentially a mid-ranking League of Ireland team yeah, and we take I- that for granted almost mm-hmm. Yeah, we we do a little bit, and but at the same time, that just adds to the to the what's the word the the box officeness mm-hmm. of a Damien Duff. Like I mean, um, Rovers or are, are, um, Shelburne at the live game again this week. You know, are they following Damien? I don't know. It might but, be a little but bit. But look, yeah. um, but look, there's some there's some big names in the league as well. Outside of that, that's that's that all that just helps to it. It it, it brings it lets people know, but. But it shouldn't be any shock to people that someone like Damien and Joey are really invested in their football club because you don't get to the level they're at by doing football half-hours. And anyone that knows Damien, I only know him through doing a course with him over a two-year period. 
he is the most tour man in the world. As I said on here before, I think he debates with himself if he's going for a bottle of milk, which brand to get, mm. and he'll, he'll make sure he gets the yeah. right one. Because, but you don't you get sense that from him. But you don't you? become a, a Premiership. You don't be, get to the level he got to without being so invested in what you do. Just a question to you, Vinny. So, like Stephen Kenny would have spoken about, he was detached from the. Jack Charlton kind of Ireland team because of the way we played and that's kind of controversial in hindsight because like Jack Charlton did um, a lot of things that were quite revolution, revolutionary at the time in terms of pressing and stuff like that but we didn't play a nice standard of football and if you look back at say I spoke to somebody last weekend who was at Ireland and the USSR in 74 which is Liam Brady's debut and we passed the ball on a bad Daily Mount pitch like a really good team that day. Johnny yeah. Giles and Liam Brady. And I was watching that game during lockdown and it was one of these games that they played back. And I was like, how are we then pigeonholed as this country that couldn't play football, right? But if you go to the League of Ireland, where is this kind of um, hegemony come now where everyone is trying to pass the ball, give or take? It's a real on-the-ground league. And if you go, I think we need to underage as well. Oh, they're all coaching to pass the ball from the goalkeeper out at under-14 level um, at like Longford Town all the way up to Shamrock Rovers yeah, where, I, where does that come from I, I think two things I think the game has changed in terms of how it's played and how people watch the game and, and people understand the game a little bit different in terms of it used to be 4-4-2 um, I, I, I debate this many times with, with someone like Stephen I don't I don't subscribe to that argument that someone like Jack Charlton I think <clears throat> Jack Charlton pretended he, he, he forgot people's names and stuff like that I think that suits, suits the after dinner speaking as well a little bit but <laughs> Go back to... I'll just bring up one goal real quickly. Go back to Ireland against Italy in... I think it was in the Giant Stadium. John Sheridan came and got the ball off Dennis Irwin. Mm. Short. He, Jack changed uh, John Sheridan's position a little bit and he became a little bit deeper. OK, he went long to an Andy Towns or to a... Um, Tommy Coyne. Uh, yeah, but remember where Ray Houghton was playing? He was playing on the right wing. He was playing narrow. That's something a lot of players and Pep is doing now with, say, um, Grealish playing narrow or Foden. And Helton is in that sort of number 10 position to pick up seconds. That didn't just happen by accident. That didn't just like, oh, uh, Ray Helton ended up in that position. So Remember pe- John Sheridan hitting the bar in the second half? Yeah. It's a lovely, lovely move. And, well, and the, yeah. the way we played, uh, Andy Townsend actually switched position and, and sort mm. of because he went into the. He, he gave us a real running power from 10. Just, just to make the point that. Football is is changing and it has different cycles and um, I think to I think to go on about say someone like Jack Charlton I think is completely disrespectful because um, you know he got to major tournaments and he did. But we were pigeonholed as a country that couldn't really play football. It was like this British style of football. No. Like when the dog went into Europe, there was there was genuine surprise when you played Maccabi Haifa that day. And I think you were quoted after the game where you may have spoken to Benny Uno or whatever. He's like, I love the way you play. Like you play the game the right way. But this was an outlier. It was like, oh my god, you're an Irish team. Not only that, you're a League of Ireland team and you're passing the ball here. Yeah. And it took us a long time to prove we could actually do this. Like. No, but Brit- British football was played a certain way, um, and continental football was played another way. Mm. I think they've all merged mm. into being very similar now, and there's different variants of it of all different shapes. But I, I, I just think it's—I think that was overplayed from both sides a little bit. I think mm. they were closer than what they should be. Italian football was very sterile and, and whatever, and wasn't about conceding. Where British football was a bit more bl- blood and thunder. Mm. I think we've also got to be careful of where we are now in the league in terms of the, there's some games at the moment that aren't good. 
and it's too much actually passing and it's right. too slow and it's 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 passing for the sake of passing and teams need to be a bit more adventurous and then there's a lot of goals being scored and you could argue because defensively teams aren't good enough as well so it's about finding that balance and um, while teams aren't being caught out at the moment because the league is so close they're, they're, and the, the gap isn't big enough because we haven't got really outstanding teams potentially so you've got to find a balance in all that and I think uh, not go overboard one way or, or, or yeah. the other way I would feel Vinny uh, the AstroTurf argument has come up once again this week Colin Healy was, was quoted um, talking about the, the number of injuries and, and certainly last week on Sunday Andy Boyle in the warm up Greg Sloggett during the game at Oil Park suffering injuries Stephen O'Donnell linking the number of injuries both Dundalk and Derry City have suffered to those Astro surfaces so this, this is a, an issue that's not going away yeah, the, again, I I like to think I'm in the I like to be on the fence or in the middle on this stuff. So I obviously worked in Oriel Park for nearly nine years. Um, so so a couple of things. I was really surprised by Stephen O'Donnell's comments. Right, not that I disagree with them. I just wouldn't have said them. Because, as the Dundalk manager, as the Dundalk manager, because straight away, if if I'm um, a Shelbourne player today and want to take the next step, step, which is which is say Dundalk and proper full-time maybe it's not but Shelburne's a bad example I, I ain't signing for Dundalk mm. I'm not signing for Dundalk because there's a higher risk of being injured if I can find a comparable club and I think that's part of Dundalk's problem now because you've got teams now like Pats full-time Bowles full-time um, so a Bowles player is now has a better option he's probably trained on grass and playing on grass So it's a big call I agree with you but is he trying to force their hand and say we need to change the picture yeah, but is he playing a game? Well, unless head? unless the club has somewhere in the region, of, and ju- just to mm. be clear, somewhere in the region of seven hundred thousand pounds to change the pitch back to grass, people think you just rip up this and and plant mm. seed. There's there's a certain structure underneath the astroturf that has to be removed, and then when do you do it? Do the dog play in Drogheda for? Because you can't do it in the off season because yeah, it's it winter takes here. Too long, yeah. So it's a, it's a huge call, and um, but it, there is an issue there. Um, absolutely, the. The uh, I seen one article uh, this week in the Sun, really good article, but it was sort of critical. Neil O'Riordan piece, piece was sort of critical of previous owners, but actually people who put down this pitch were the ones before that who were back involved with the club, and they saved something like twenty five thousand pound at the time by not putting what's called a bounce mat in. Yeah, and it's really hard underneath. I think the elephant in the room is. Um, AstroTurf pitches aren't bad they're needed in this country to help developer footballers because of the climate because of the restrictions on, on the amount of land we have for people to play football but the two at League of Ireland level are two of the worst ones you'll find in the bloody country so there's some really good AstroTurf pitches around the country you go and play in European football you'll probably play if Rovers get to a group stage of the league I would say Highly likely, statistically, play against someone on an AstroTurf pitch. Mm. The Rovers players won't come home from that saying, pitch was terrible, it was dangerous, any of that stuff. The ones that are in our grounds, uh, in Derry and, and Where Dundalk, are, the good are really in poor. Ireland then, actually. Oh, uh, there's lots of them, um, like in, in just local level, mm. where people have put proper money into them. As I said, does it, uh, and I'm not an expert on AstroTurf pitches, but mm. I know from, like, I, I, I brought people in at Dundalk to try and. Uh, again, encourage our owners to to remove our astroturf, and um, by putting the proper structure in, and 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 the maintenance of them is huge. Like Malahide United's pitch at the moment, they've got two of them. They're excellent. Mm. Cherry Orchard had put one in. There's, there's 
examples they just where regressed over need, you know. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah. It's a product that wears out over time, and um, but again, maintenance is huge on them, and like, the, but the injuries, Shane, is is really scary. Like, yeah, um, it's it's something that people have to get a grip of because it's it's. Well, we're making the point during the week, Vinny. Sorry, like, wh- where are injuries now in terms of bad tackles versus players just getting injured on Astro? Yeah, innocuous challenges. Yeah, like John Melton had done his cruciate, ironically playing for Pats in Oreo Park. He then done his other cruciate, playing uh, playing for Dundalk. Um, young Young Keane um, from Shelbourne had a really bad knee injury there and still hasn't played. Uh, Sligo lost two players, Brannock and, and Sullivan, to, to ankle injuries. And a player underage the following day. In yeah. The same, o- o- yeah, up in up in Brandywell, uh, yeah. the Brandywell. Um, I remember going to the Brandywell. The, when we came out of Europe so it was mi- mid enough season I lost Patrick McElhenney okay to a tackle but his foot got planted on the AstroTurf pitch uh, Dave McMillan went up for a header Michael Duffy and Daniel Kelly lost four players that day uh, and it was off the back of a big run and three of them never played for me again and we only lost out in Europe by three points that mm-hmm. year so it can it can be really detrimental to the people if it's not well maintained and looked after there's someone up the north yeah. where players will tell you they're excellent I think they're four in the but do you know the mad thing is like Terryland Park which is like as you would know Vinny yeah. an excellent surface for yeah. years and years and years and talking to Noel Connolly one of the best grounds I'd say in the world not to mind the country how what he's kept he said there were over 40 games in one month in May and even Noel Connolly which was so sacros- like sacrilegious was saying we have to consider going down Astro if Terryland went down Astro I don't think it'll ever happen thankfully after the debate we're having now mm-hmm. but it would be the the saddest thing because that beautiful pitch in the West of Ireland just another Astro pitch which is going to regress and I hope whatever Vinny says about the, the cost I hope we don't have any more of them in the League of Ireland anyway whatever happens in Brandywell and Oriel yeah, certainly the, the injury statistics are, are a concern we should mention lads the fixtures um, tomorrow night four games in all Cork City take on Derry at Turner's Cross at Strada versus Bowes at Weavers Park Shelburne playing Dundalk at Tolka and St Pat's against Shamrock Rovers is probably the big game uh, at Richmond and then of course Saturday uh, evening we have Sligo Rovers against UCD anything particularly taking your eye every week we have a good game yeah I think I think yeah. at the moment um, at the moment you, you've got a, there's not a lot of focus um, like for whatever reasons not a lot of focus on Shamrock Rovers mm. they've played 10 games and won 3 that's only a 30% win rate <laughs> they won the three of their last four, like so. They were all of a sudden. It's it's mad. You can look at it two ways. It's Pats are second, and Pats are having a terrible season. It's mad. Like. I, I, I wish you, I wish you had um, been thinking that way back in 2019. The point, <laughs> the point I make is, uh, yeah, to, to, no. To be clear, the point I make is, it's a big game for them. I think I think they need to kick on and win. I still believe Rovers win the league by ten points plus. Really, Jack okay. Hughes. Uh, and even if Jack Bourne leaves, there's talk uh, of Jack Bourne going to MLS. Does it? Does it? Does a couple of bids in? Two bids, from, yeah. Charlotte is one of yeah, them. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know. Is Giannis answer? I know he's out contract at the end of the year. So all of this stuff nowadays is there anyone playing games or whatever? We'll find out because their window shuts this weekend. I think so. We'll find out in the next three or four days. But he's been sensational. He's back to his very best. Uh, Rovers are far and away the best team in the league. Do you think um, that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't think. Even Derry at the rest. The problem is Derry have a couple of injuries, so we're not seeing the real Derry at the moment. But doesn't every team will get injuries? The difference is if Rovers get injuries, they'll still be exceptional. So, uh, but it's a big game for them. They need to. It's all right being playing. They're playing excellent. They're playing really well. But they need to kick on, and I, I think this is a big test for them, and a big test for Pats as well, who've been. Well, Shell showed how to marshal Gaffney and Burke. 
you know, close them down and just give them no space. The, the other work. thing for me was Jack Moylan had Jack Moylan had the Rovers defence in ribbons at times. He really did, and that was the one thing I think that'll encourage Pats because at least Pats are going in, and I think they do seem to be a good counter-attacking team, Vinny, as well, which yeah. they might have to do even at home. I think there's a template for Pats out to beat Rovers. Yeah, I'm just saying again, I, I'm I'm talking up Rovers and just saying this is a big test for them. Need like you, you cannot win a league by only winning three out of ten. Statistic having a thirty percent win rate. Yeah. So I'm saying this is a big test for them. But there's a big template now. Pats play similar way to how uh, shells play, and the, the front two of Pats I think will cause them problems um, in terms of Rovers on the counter. We're seeing about why the League of Ireland is cool or whatever. Adam Murphy, um, who I think started in in Daily Mount, he's a kid. I think he's 18. He's, everyone's been raving about him at Pats. He's had desperate injury problems, and I I imagine he might start Friday, mm. which will be fascinating because I love seeing these young players coming through, and we've had. So many good young players in central positions being entrusted with the role at Bowes and Pats and places like that, and I hope Adam gets because this will be massive playing against Shamrock Rovers or by his, by his street the best uh, midfield in the league at the moment. Mm. Eight fifty a.m. on to p.m. John Duggan's also in studio with us. Morning, John. Morning, everybody. How are you all doing? Keeping well. Keep well. The League of Ireland is cool. That's the that's the main subject line this morning. Is the League of Ireland got cool? I think Come cool. Got a lot of interest from younger people, and. I think there's definitely huge growth potential in it. Uh, I think the facilities, obviously, we know are substandard, so I think they need to improve. And if you could get better facilities, you could get more people to games, um, you could get more of a buzz around it. I do think another thing that's important for the league is to know who the players are. Because for many years, I think I don't think people, the general public, have um, had a connection with certain players or know who they are. They'd know maybe the top five to ten, but they wouldn't know beyond that. And I think that's probably the biggest thing for the league to try and pursue is that marketing knowledge of who these players are, the connection with their communities. Uh, so they're as known as Gaelic footballers and hurlers. That's the biggest challenge, I think, for the League of Ireland going forward. Um, there's the infrastructure side, but there's also the connection with the with the clubs and there's a lot of transfer um, you know revolving door around players so um, I, I do think that's the biggest thing for do these the points challenge. about young players or young fans that's mm. massive Vinny's on about these kids from Jonestown Killinard and you look at the when, when they pan behind the goal at Rovers game they're all young, youngsters all young kids as Vinny says from the area around absolutely massive social media well, these right, I think TikTok uh, yeah and TikTok, TikTok. Oh, we might have over 50,000 TikTok followers yeah. I think it's uh, whether they're doing it or not I think it's really important for the FAI to get like the likes of Chidozik Benny to go to Limerick and to go to Cork mm. uh, where he, he played mm. um, I got that right haven't I yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so for Seamus Coleman to, to like, the part of your deal as, as an Irish player part of your kind of and the, the lads would do it anyways to go to Sligo and, mm. and, or to have like a, a couple of sessions a year or to meet the community or have, yeah, an, o- always a ha- game. have an open day yeah. or whatever you know and that, that, that kind of connection um, I think is really important for anybody who came from the league who's now playing across the water where Georgia Kelly scored this week for Rotherham so Georgia Kelly goes back to Bowes mm. and, and that is I think is really important I think the identification you've got to identify with with like we all talk in just in our sleep about it, like all the golfers, all the Premier League players, all the Gaelic footballers. Um, you know, if you were talking about Dublin Mayo, you'd probably be able to name most of the players on both teams. Can your person on the street name the Shamrock Rovers and Derry teams one to eleven? Well, that's yeah. the, the women's football team. You couldn't name any players, and all of a sudden they're on the side of buses and they're on billboards. Yeah, I, I think Dublin, SNC like, or Tristy needs to do more. Like the, the Irish teams that played France, Finney, five of them came from the League of Ireland. Yeah, no, started. Mm. I, I think John Point. 
John's point's well made. The only thing I will say to you is locally a lot of that's going on. So mm. if Pat Hoban went into, and he does, and I've been with it, you talk about David Clifford, people say David Clifford walks in and there's a, there's a video of people just reacted to <laughs> David Clifford. I, 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 I'd love to share with, and we put it on social media, some Pat Hoban walked onto a, uh, a training ground in um, one of these, you know, the uh, summer camps. Oh, yeah. And... Um, Every player, I brought the player down. He was mauled, and he was late coming into it. As in, he was five minutes behind everyone else. And kids come from everywhere, so I think that's happening locally. I think it needs to happen nationally, nationally to mm. then take yeah. it to the next level. Yeah. Like Dundalk or Bowes are going to the local schools, and the kids are getting connection. Rovers uh, do it. I know up in Tallaght as well, and the local school. They even brought the league trophy to the school, and my son was disgusted, like sitting there going, "You know, this is what's he bringing the trophy for? <laughs> he he in, stole yeah. it on me dad, like you know." <laughs> but it's but it is happening. But nationally is the next step, and I think I think the FEI have certainly got League of Ireland on their mindset. To be fair to them, a but big sea change there. But like, it needs yeah. to go to another level, and, and absolutely. You could make a good point as well. Could you name a Longford footballer or a Wexford hurler? So, so maybe I'm talking about the top level of Gaelic footballers. Mm. So you could maybe make this argument that the League of Ireland club is comparable to a maybe lower-ranked GA team in the championship mm. this mm. weekend. How many Westmeath hurlers can the casual person name? But uh, most casual people could be able to name the top 20 hurlers, the top 20 footballers. Mm. And that's where the League of Ireland, OK, Jack Byrne aside, or the success stories, like would we have known to those Zig Benny before he went to the UK? Yeah. So that would be my, just my have observation a, on it. So multicultural as well, like yeah. you know, um, different colours of skin at every club at all levels. I love that. I love the fact that League of Ireland is a mirror to society now, and football is still the working class game for me. And that's I love that going to games where I can relate to the people. It's fifteen quid in whatever it is. It hasn't gone up in years, yeah. and you go to a game and like. And I will say this time and time again: per head of population, some of our crowds, the likes of Dundalk and Sligo, for these small regional towns, are up there with anywhere in the world. Really, really good, and we shouldn't be down ourselves as much as we are. Yeah. 100%. All heading in the right direction, for sure. Uh, John, this morning, any other news What else would you like bobs? to talk about? <laughs> what are, what's happening? What's one of the main things this morning? I guess uh, the Champions League has kind of been hit. The Champions bit. League, like, I think the thing with City is, did, would they do anything silly last night? They didn't. Mm. That's the thing. So once Haaland scored, it was all over. Um, as, as intense as it was for maybe about an hour against Bayern Munich, I think the issue with City in the last years of the Champions League has been doing stupid things and conceding goals in quick succession. Uh, that didn't happen last night. Real Madrid, the interesting thing about it is their second leg is at home uh, on Wednesday, the 16th of May, the first leg in the Bernabeu on the 9th of May against Real Madrid. Inter-AC will be a fascinating semi-final, obviously. Uh, Milan Derby. Can City, John? Is yeah. this the best City squad they've ever had? Um, I think it's comparable to the last few years, uh, Vinny, but I, I, what all these things is, um, do they have any injuries at the moment? They don't, but I think the key thing is Haaland. And maybe Shane Keegan was in here the other day, um, you know, talking about, well, they haven't scored more goals, they haven't done this. But if you look at Haaland, is scored 48 goals this season. And I just think that um, he's a special sauce. And also, so, uh, so the reason I ask you is, on Haaland's a good point, just you take the all the centre-halves they have at the moment and he's managed them brilliantly. I don't think he had that strength before, but Haaland is the best example of it. He only has one way of playing now because he has to play Haaland, so he has to play a nine. So you, you think now he's not going to mess around with this. You know, We know he has messed around and done different things. So whether it's Grealish or Mares or whatever, I just think the Haaland thing is huge because it's forcing his hand on most yeah. to go, I need to play with a nine, I can't play with a false nine. Yeah. Because he, he's turned up in Champions League games, finals, and done crazy things. Well, maybe Haaland has given him that little bit of uh, security. And Pep keeps on making the argument to press conference as well, you know, 
other clubs have had to get used to the Champions League. And like, I remember it did take United, say, in the 90s, quite Long a few time. years to get mm. their head around the Champions League. He's making that point about Napoli this season. And maybe he does have a point around that. It's also a way of hiding, as you say, the madness of not playing Rodri, a holding midfielder in the game against Chelsea in the Champions League final. So maybe having Haaland there is a focal point. Um, Will they bottle it, though? If, if, will they bottle it again? And will I don't think so. I don't, don't. think so. This is because this is the year they just so. have to get it done. Uh, yes. Is is that capacity? If Sane had gotten the first goal last night, is there potential for City no, I, to think? I, I, oh, I, here I, we go again. I don't feel it this season. I think City maybe might be peaking a bit later than they yeah. would have had in previous seasons. So once again, they're behind Arsenal in the league. I think they might have been peaking a lot earlier in campaigns before this season. And what all these things is the maturity of. But if you know you've got somebody that is a, a machine and, and, and up front, it means that, like, remember, like, the last years, I asked Nathan, for example, who's the best player in the Premier League you see in the flesh? And he go, Phil Foden. Yeah. Phil Foden hasn't been talked about in the last yeah. few months. Yeah. I, know, I know he's in an appendix out and that kind of thing, but that just shows how big it is. Um, and there is a depth there. Uh, like, Calvin Phillips hasn't even landed a Manchester mm. City. So mm. I, do, I do think Stones has had a really good season, a really revitalised season. I, I just delighted for John Stones. I, I, I remember having an argument with someone about four years ago. He could be one of the great centre-halves of all time of English football. And when you think of it, he's actually lost in the middle of that City team because if you think of it, if you were English, English centre-halves, look at his trophy hall, look what he mm. will end up with. And he plays in a lot of the top games. I just think... He is. He's, he's they have options. And, they have options. And, but they've options, and I, I just hope. And and to to hold, call Johnny up once more. Sorry, Johnny. Is can't bo- go back is, to twenty nineteen again. No, but on. is losing to Real Madrid really bottling? Like you're talking about the highest level of football. Well, I, I think they threw it away last year. Yeah, maybe yeah, not bottling. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. got to go here. That's they, could, they, they, could, they could they could lose in a way. Here all day. They could sorry. lose a very tight <laughs> semi final. Yeah, um, yeah. which wouldn't be bottling it but I, do, I think like, a bit like Leinster in the rugby they have to win it yeah okay because with Guardiola he's had too many great analogy Leinster <laughs> like, <laughs> Monaco Monaco Spurs will, yeah. Leon these were all uh, matches they, they should not and have. I hope it happens <laughs> yeah. Seems to be <laughs> classics regardless but uh, lads A59 John thanks many as always Vinny thanks, thanks for coming in as per usual uh, up next we will have the Kenny legend in Taggy Fogarty previewing the weekend's hurling plenty of action there as well uh, first though more from last night's football show I, no, it's, it's Man City to win the treble. Man City to win the treble? Yeah. Oof. Yeah. I would say that in every competition they're in, I'd make them he- certainly strong favourites to win the Premier League. Strong favourites? Yeah. No, I, I still think Reeling that's tight. No, I still think there's a lot tight than you're talking about. No, I don't think you can choose between the two of um, them at the moment. They'll win the league by three points or more. Agree or disagree? I thought you were going to say about eight points or no, more. No, well, let's be fair. You've reined that right in. <laughs> Four I points. I think they'll win the league by at least a point, maybe <laughs> two. <laughs> oh, easy. Four points. I go to four. Only eight games left, and they're how many behind? I take them for the champ. I take in champions. I fancy them for the Champions League. Yeah, kind of. I'll say. I think they're a good, they're in a good place. Pep doesn't look like he's going to throw in a wobbler. Yeah. So FA Cup, yes. That's only a matter of concentration. Oh no, no, absolutely not. Who? We've just been talking about Brighton at the weekend in terms of the, the performance they pitched up at Chelsea. Mick's telling me I have to go. Ugh. <laughs> I'm staying. You're going. Okay. Nine AM on this Thursday morning go to be OTBM. That was Kenny Cunningham in conversation with Joe Malloy on last night's football show. Time to turn our attention to the weekend's action in the hurling and plenty of it too. We have Aidan Taggy Fogarty on the line with us this morning. Morning Taggy, how are things? 
Shane, how are you? How are things? Keeping well, thanks for joining us. Just to run people through the, the fixtures we have to look forward to this weekend in the small ball. Saturday we have the Leinster Senior Hurling Championship around 1. Uh, Antrim Dublin at Corrigan Park at 2 o'clock. You have Galway Wexford at Pierce Stadium at half past 4. And then at 6 it's Kilkenny Westmeath at Nolan Park from 6. Uh, plenty of action in the Joe McDonough as well. Kildare Kerry. Uh, Carlo Leach and Offaly Down. There's Christy Ring, Nicky Rackard and Laurie Maher. Plenty of action also on Saturday and then on Sunday. Uh, also Laurie Marr, Christy Ring action, but uh, the attention mainly will be on the Munster Senior Hurling Championship around one. It's Waterford versus Limerick at the FPD Semple Stadium from two o'clock. And after that, four o'clock, Clare versus Tip at Cusick Park in Ennis. So loads to look forward to uh, this weekend. Tigerty, I just wanted to get your thoughts. First, Tigerty, uh, a little bit of concerning news coming out of your own county this morning. The back of the Irish Independent, uh, Michael Verney has a piece on Billy Drennan uh, and a potential... Uh, injury blow for Billy Drennan it seems like a leg injury uh, that fear is growing that this injury could end his summer which would be uh, a massive blow for Derek Ling and, and Kilkenny two goals and 70 points Drennan scored in the league he scored 212 twen- for the under 20s against Galway just last weekend um, this will be a massive blow Taggarty if, uh, if if he's out for the season yeah, Shane. Um, I just heard this morning has got a technical staff there saying that um, he, he could be out. I don't know the ins and outs of it. As I said, you nearly know more than I do there on, on the back piece of the independent there. Um, huge blow for Kilkenny if it is. Um, now, in saying that, um, Billy has been excellent during the league. Um, phenomenal. He was on the freeze and he was our, he was our find of the league, really, uh, if you look at it. Um, Jerry was obviously looking for players. Uh, he captained uh, um, under 20 last year. Like, super hurler. Um, and it's an awful shame if, if he is out now when it comes to championship he saw him in the in the league final uh, I thought myself the big question mark about Billy Drennan was he's brilliant on the freeze but what does he contribute from play uh, in my opinion he was excellent up to the league final and, and that's fair enough you're playing an excellent Limerick team uh, and he wasn't really shown from play so the, the big question mark was you know what was he going to contribute without taking the freeze and then of course with TJRE coming back in question was will TJ be on the freeze will he not so if he's out obviously TJ will be on the freeze I think myself TJ will be on the freeze myself anyway um, but it'd be a massive blow because Billy Drennan has been superb and he has been superb during the league and the likes of that Shane the likes of a fellow coming on like you're not going to be expecting Billy Drennan to be come up and scoring 1-8 1-9 in championship 4 or 5 points in play realistically what you want from a player like that what Derek will be looking for is you know a player just to gel in and make a little bit of a difference and when the ball is going into his kind of area just to make it stick a little bit, you know, just on one or two points, not to be, you know, dictating the game at all whatsoever, but to play along the side that the likes of Mullen, TJ Reid, you know, uh, Mossy Keown, these lads, and just to fit in nicely and, and makes some sort of a, just a different type of a player, something different for the other teams to play for. And that's the aspect really that will be missing if Billy Drennan is injured. Uh, one of the big games I suppose to focus on, Taggarty, Taggy is... Um what for Limerick and, and I mean where Limerick are at well you know where they're at and, and every team is kind of bigging them up and they're all in this together I think was the quote David Burke is using on the back page of some of the, the papers this morning um, is there a blueprint whatsoever in how to beat Limerick like what do Waterford do this weekend well that's the conundrum Shane uh, we don't know you hit the nail on the head we know exactly what Limerick are going to do Limerick you know they've been talked about they've been analysed they've been dissected they have a super panel they're a better team this year than they were the last couple of years, you know, the strength and depth, huge. So the question is on that game is what is Waterford? What are Waterford going to come with? They didn't take the league serious. Um, they were playing a very defensive looking system. They played one up front. Uh, Kylie was up front there. I was at the Kilkenny game, so it was a terrible game, Kilkenny Waterford. And 
Watford didn't look like they wanted to win it. Kilkenny just kind of went on and won it for the sake of it kind of thing. And that's the way it looked like. Uh, so the, the big question is, what is Watford going to come with? They went off to Portugal for a training camp. I was just reading the Independence more Jamie Barron about how it's changed over the over the course of the six months between Liam Cal and Seth. That's gone very tactical, very analysing um, certain things, uh, you know, how, how we're going to play. So realistically, it's how Watford are going to set up and how Limerick are going to deal with that. Because Watford are, at the minute, are, are the unknown. Davy Fitz have been playing them down, uh, you know, saying we've a lot of work to do. In my opinion, that's a bit of tactics in, in, in my own sense because Watford aren't a bad team. They're not, like, this time last year, we were saying Watford were the ones to put it up to, to Limerick. They have phenomenal players. They went 221, I think, to 30 points in the first round of the championship last year mm. to Limerick. They were only three points off them. So they're not too far off the mark. And the problem is with Limerick is what to expect. Like, what um, David Fitz is going to want to do, he's going to want to upset Limerick, take him, drag him out of position, you know, pull him all over the pitch and, and, and put on their running game. Now, the problem with that is Limerick are so used to it. And the thing that Limerick is, and I don't know people, people have kind of mentioned it a small bit, is they get to grips with the team at half time. We've seen in COVID with the water breaks, how exceptional after the water breaks Limerick were because they're, and they're anal- whatever they're doing in their analysis team, I see laptops out in the league final, you know, Paul Connerk obviously has been spoke about. They seem to do to relative the problem, uh, put their finger on it and rectify it in the second half. So the thing for me is, I can't see this Waterford Limerick game being a spectacle as in a super game, but I can see it being a grafting kind of game. And then the second half, Limerick kind of get in the terms of what way Waterford are going to play and come out and, and kind of get over the line. But like, they're, they're serious players like Caelan Lyons, Hutchison, Jack Fagan, Prunty on Galan. You know, Prunty always takes on Galan, Tyg de Burke on Keen Lynch. Like, just really, really good matchups here. So I think it, it, it'll be a, a tactical kind of a battle if you get me. Like I think Taggy, just watching watching Limerick close up, it's like probably the best standard of hurling in terms of you've ever seen really in terms of their physicality, their athleticism, and so on and so forth. Is there any concern within hurling when you look at the football championship this year that you have so many teams like realistically that could could win the All Ireland? I think you could nearly see, stretch to six or seven teams in with some sort of a shout. That um, hurling's in a situation now where uh, Limerick could literally obliterate teams left, right and centre and just make this a very uninteresting championship. Is there any fear in hurling about that? Yeah, yeah, of course there is. Um, Limerick have blown away everybody nearly this year so far in, in, in the league. Now, albeit, the league is totally different in hurling now. Um, no, as far as I can see, uh, teams put very little interest in it. They, they try out players, they try, they try different things. But definitely Limerick are on a cusp of a wave at the minute. They Just everything is clicking for them. I think it's the first time ever they, they have no injuries whatsoever. There's 37 players on the panel. And they're all going to train. They're all fighting for places. It's becoming to a stage where they're just being competitive inside the camp. And that's a great place to be. You know, you talk about motivation. Motivation about getting on the team. Because people say all oh, places are up for grabs. But that Limerick team is pretty much the same Limerick team that has been going for the last three, four, five years. But the thing is, if anyone drops their standards, that's when people get in. And so Limerick do not want to stop their standards. And there is a fear factor out there that, yes, this championship will be just mundane and Limerick will just blow them all away. But that's the joys of sport because you just don't know. Last year we were kind of saying the same thing. Um, but in the Munster final, you know, uh, Clare uh, put into a, a draw after full-time 70 minutes. No, just a cracking spectacle. Uh, Galway in the semi-final came really, really close to him. Kenny weren't too far off him either. 
So there is that kind of sense of Limerick will just walk the championship. But then again, I kind of look at it and say, championship is championship. There's always upsets. And the thing with Limerick is, if you beat them once, you mightn't catch them again. So I'm hoping they come through Munster <laughs> unbeaten and then they might get caught in a semi-final and be knocked out so they can't regroup. That's what I'm hoping. And just David Burke is well quoted, obviously, in the papers today, saying he felt that uh, Galway really had Limerick actually kind of... Fit. Their body language, they were a little bit rattled in the second half last year. And then David Burke goes on to say, um, I think Henry has a better panel this year, almost talking Galway up. Where are Galway at? I think Galway are, are, are very, very close. Um, I was thinking about that myself, and I was looking at it, and I said... Maybe back in my time when teams were playing us, uh, there, was a, there was, was one team that always thought they could take us down, and that was Tipperary. First of all, they, they had the tradition, and I suppose maybe, for want of a better word, they were nearly cocky enough to believe that they could take us down, and they have, and they did. Yeah. Do you know? Uh, and that, that real kind of sense of belief. So what other teams is, do they really believe they can beat the Limerick team? Do Cork really believe it? I'm not too sure. Waterford, Wexford, you know, Dublin, you know, I'm not too sure. But I think Galway, behind it all, believe they can do it because they have the physicality, they have the players, they are their second year in with Henry Shefflin. Um they, they, a lot of them players, likes of uh Dahi Burke, um, you know, Grow McInerney, these lads are coming toward the end, you know, the latter end of the stages of the careers. So if they're going to do it, perhaps this is the year to do it. And the thing with Galway is they flatter and deceive sometimes. As we said, we're having this conversation again, I had it last year, the year before, Galway are the team that could do it. And I think with Galway they nearly need to throw off the shackles. And they need to get a little bit ruthless. And when they have teams, you know, pinned down, they need to really put the, the pressure on and put them away in games. You know, just get that really ruthless edge. And I think get a team spirit going. You know, there's a, there's a team spirit in teams when they win our Ireland and when they get over the line, you know, in real crunch matches. And that team spirit is kind of like can't be broken. That, that kind of a real spirit. Brian Cody was talked about it beforehand about, you know, that, that unbreakable kind of a team spirit. And I think Shefflin needs to work on that a small bit. Uh, with the club scene up there, the, the, it's toxic at times. And I wonder about Galway, like, really as a four, as a whole team, do they really buy into each other on the field? Uh, you know, maybe when the championship is over, do they go off, you know, go for a few pints themselves? Do they ring each other? Do, are, they, are they buddies off the field? You know, mm. if they bring that together, get a real kind of a drive, Galway could be the team. And also Clare, I, I have a sneak feeling for Clare as well. Like Clare in the league, they've never took the league uh, um, uh, seriously, in, in my opinion. But you know, championship Clare do well in championships. Clare have won the last eight championship games uh, from twelve, and they topped the table last year. Like Brian Lawan is a, not bad, you know, in, in a serious, serious competition. Like Munster is a serious competition, uh, but they just need that little extra belief when they get to the Ireland series of getting over the line. They seem to have Munster nearly kind of cracked. Uh, but they're there together a while as well. And Brian Lawn, I, I rate Brian Lawn um, highly. I think, you know, he's he's down to earth. He gets a drive out of him. And, you know, you have players coming back into that Clare team as well. Uh, they, they found uh, they found a couple of players uh, this year, I, I feel. Um, you know, Aidan McCarthy is after coming back as well. Uh, he's a massive addition. Mark Rogers, Adam Hogan, um, you know, these kind of guys. And then you could have a forward line of Tony Kenny. Uh, Shane O'Donnell, Aidan McCarthy, <laughs> David Reed, Ian Galvin, Aaron Shanahan, you know, uh, Peter Duggan. They're not too far Decent. off as well if they yeah. just get it right. 100%. That's, uh, yeah, that's one of the games I'm, I'm most looking forward to this weekend. Claire Tip, Cusick Park and Ennis at 4 o'clock. And of course, it's a neutral venue for Waterford Limerick because Walsh Park unavailable for them. So, Simple Stadium it is. Taggy, enjoy the action this weekend. Thanks as always for hopping on. 
Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Christoph Taggy Fogarty there, Kilkenny legend. Um, Henry Sheffman will play that clip back to Taggy if we happen to win the All Ireland. Now we'll have a few points. You know, <laughs> tell me about Team Spurt. Yeah, I think he, he's alluding to something that definitely was the case. I'm not sure it's the case anymore. Um, the worry for Galway is. Are Limerick actually have Limerick gotten better? And <laughs> I think I think Hurland is at. I thought it was impossible, but maybe they yeah, have. I think it's it, it is a concern for Hurland this year. First of all, the, the 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 scoring level is a bit too high for a lot of people in neutrals. Mm. I think that might sound daft, but like you don't want a basketball game either. No. There are too many scores in games to to a large extent. Um, and I, I I do think the clash between Hurland and football in terms of viewing figures and interest this year is going to be very interesting because football is going to be compelling from start to finish. Yeah, for sure, especially once you reach those the group stages and mm. stuff. Uh, definitely, it's going to be interesting. And as you said, that the Slitter being a bit light as well mm. as maybe added to a lot of those those uh, athleticism. They can just well, hit, yeah. they can hit they can hit points from practically everywhere now. And you don't really want games where it's regularly one team scoring over thirty points against no. good opposition. You don't want that in my view anyway. Hundred percent. Nine fourteen approaching on this Thursday morning's OTBAM. Here are some highlights coming up on the OTB Sports Podcast Network today. We've got Wednesday night rugby, the football daily, and John's virtual insanity golf tips as well for you. You can follow OTB across social and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network. After these ads, it's Declan Lynch's version of You Had to Be There. It's so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. I had to be there. Yeah, latest version and latest episode of You Had to Be There on this morning's OTBM. Delighted to welcome to the show this morning the Sunday Independent sports writer, Declan Lynch. Declan, how are things? Good, good. Thanks for thanks for hopping on. I know this is a, this is a stressful slot for a lot of people because... Narrowing it down to five is not not an easy thing to do. Your list, no. I have to say, is eclectic and different and varied, um, and it's a throwback as well. Some of them. We'll uh, we'll get straight into them because at number one, we're going all the way back to 1974. It's an FAI Cup semi-final, Athlone Town, your own uh, beloved Athlone Town, um, in a five-nil defeat. I think it is to Finn Harps at Oriel Park. Um, memorable for a number of reasons. This one, Declan. Yeah, um, this was um, such a big event at time for, for me and for any at Lone Town fan um, we were in the cup semi-final for the first time we'd, uh, we'd gone up with Finn Harps uh, a few years before into the League of Ireland so there was a kind of a, the two clubs were kind of on a similar sort of footing except Harps were really good now they were, they were very good Brendan Bradley and Charlie Ferry and players like that uh, at Lone were also very good uh, this was the team that the following year would uh, the famous draw with AC Milan, you know. So they were they were they were a good side, and um, it, it was it was such a, a kind of an event because it was in Oriel Park, and uh, I guess the you know there were such it was such a prize at the end of it. I mean, the idea at the time that you would have the, be in the FAI Cup final and it would be covered live on television was kind of incredible, right? <laughs> uh, at the time, it used to be a big thrill if you got a little, uh, you know, highlight, a few minutes of highlights on a Sunday night on this RTE sports programme that they used to have. Uh, uh, I remember, like, if if there was TV coverage down in St. Mel's Park, you know, they'd throw up a bit of scaffolding and, uh, <laughs> you know, build a, a kind of a temporary TV stand and poor Jimmy McGee would have to climb up the ladder and um, and and do his best for about like three minutes of uh, of highlights. But to actually sort of be in, on the cusp of you know having a full uh, you know live uh, cup final uh, at at Daily Mount, it was like you know moving from medieval times into into the modern world. So all of these things 
were um, kind of creating this huge sense of occasion on the day. And Athlone, I think, you know, they'd stayed in the Ballymascan Hotel in Dundalk the previous night. You know, it was a big deal. Everything was being done properly. And uh, we were very confident, even though, you know, harps, harps were very good. And everything, everything went horribly wrong. Um, harps were great on the day. Uh, they went into a 2 0 lead. And at that point, uh, something, something snapped, literally. I mean, Mick O'Brien, the goalkeeper, who uh, was a beloved character. I mean, Mick, his heart was absolutely in the right place. Uh, he was, you know, hugely fit and enthusiastic. And, you know, at St. Mel's, he used to do all this, these complex um, exercises to keep himself entertained while the ball was at the other end of the pitch. So he was a real character, you know, and uh, uh, everybody, everybody loved Mick. And Mick was maybe so upset or so kind of disturbed by what was happening himself that he, he swung on the crossbar uh, at Oriel. And the crossbars at Oriel were not made of the same stuff as the crossbars at St. Mel's, which were kind of steel, I guess. Or We've something. got a video here rolling across the screen as well of, of one of these incidents, I think. So he properly breaks in half. Yeah, he just, it, it was literally just, it was a wooden crossbar, I guess. And he wasn't accustomed to it and it just broke uh, and it was just so shot. Uh, there was a, an announcement you know is there a carpenter in the ground no this kind of thing he's playing left fast. back <laughs> uh, and uh, they they kind of the game was stopped for several minutes and there was you know they literally hammered a job together on the crossbar uh, and and the game resumed somehow uh, it, it went into a further decline for Athlone it the match finished 5-0 for, for Harps, but at a certain stage, Mick, he said later that he was trying to fix the bar, that he saw something uh, that he thought might might sort of fix it. I guess he might have been afraid it would come down again or something. And he, he had another kind of go at it. And again, the whole thing came. So twice it happens. <laughs> okay. Now, this was, he was sent off, uh, he was actually suspended for, for a good while afterwards. Um, it, it, it appeared on Saint and Greavesy the following weekend. Oh, brilliant. You know, kind of, all right, Saint, look at these, look at the Irish, you know, <laughs> like our disgrace spread throughout the world, you know. Uh, it was like the worst possible outcome for, for the day. Uh, like I remember going back from Dundalk that day and, and I don't, you know, I don't think I've ever been as, I was depressed after any sporting event. They would, either, you know, since. I mean, I'm permanently scarred by this, you know. Uh, and that was the famous. Uh, but and it was such a pity that as well it was Nick O'Brien because, like, you know, uh, he would he didn't let us down on the day. Like, you know, Mick would never. Mick was was a, a great guy, you know. And um, he, he, you know, it was really unfortunate that it was him, of all people, who. Uh, who became the sort of a poster boy for the stay of shame? Well, this, that, that that. this should be a precursor to like you know permanently scarred from us. For, uh, you just named like three sporting events. <laughs> this is our slot for. Yeah, yeah. I could definitely you had to be there. You were definitely scarred from us. Maybe come up with a different name for the, <laughs> for the slot. Um, that's a brilliant first pick, Declan. I have to say your your second pick is is also nostalgic. It's mid seventies, late town. Um, now the late town races are such an important part of the the East Meath culture. Um, but and I often use this prep for the Galway Festival, I know as well. But it, it's it's a tradition that goes back so so far, Declan. You remember, in particular, um, even one of the horses you backed back in the mid seventies as a kid. Yeah, well, you see, it was the first. Again, I was just a kid. It was the first race meeting I was ever at. 
uh, and my father brought me along to it. And uh, it's it's a mind boggling thing that Laytown is still there, and and it was there at the time. It's it's like a pop up race meeting, you know, <laughs> that was invent that was has been going for for you know God knows how long, what a century more than that. Uh, and it's a full race meeting, right? It's like you know they have, uh, you know, it, to me at the time it seemed always a day out at the seaside or whatever, right? But it was this full race meeting, and it was such a shock to the system. Like you know, you have, um, you know, you, you have you know a set a little kind of parade ring. They had a tote building set up, temporary tote building. Like it had all these sort of usual things of, of a race meeting. Um, and including the actual uh, racing on the on the strand when the when the tide is out, uh, and it was like this wasn't my first race meeting. It was such a uh, a formative experience because you know it was probably the first time I had a bet. You know, it's like probably twenty p or something on the total. And so I remember this horse Bay Tree that won, uh, and the idea would actually, you know, it was free money to be had. <laughs> the backing horse is extraordinary sort of a discovery. Um, it, 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 even like reading the papers beforehand, looking at the tipsters in the uh, in the morning papers. Remember the Irish press had a particularly good kind of layout. There was this guy who used to do uh, a form, I think it was called, and had he used to give one, two, three. You know, he'd, he'd give a, uh, a preview of the race and go, you know, first, second, and third. And it, it struck me as well that. You know, what a, a, an image of life in general. You know, when you, you read the uh, tipsters in the morning and it's all optimism and they're making a case for their their selections and it's all kind of, you know, the, the day is full of possibilities. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing quite like reading those guys on the way home, right? When, when With the old battered newspaper. Battle, right. <laughs> You now know what, what the day has brought, and and reality has set in again, right? And uh, but I still used to enjoy reading them somehow on on the way home, just thinking like you know, God, you know, uh, how 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 you know that that glad confident morning, no more uh, as 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 we as we uh, you know uh, drive home with the. Uh, with no money, totally relate uh, to what he's saying it, as well. It and was it was fantastic just to just to be at that meeting and like I've seen it covered by at the races and stuff. Who regard it as a great novelty this you know race meeting on on, on the strand, uh, but it it set me off really. My father used to bring me to race meetings, but there was a, a good friend of mine whose father as well was a big racing man, and he probably I probably went with more to more meetings with him because he was an absolutely inveterate. He was, he was from the north. He was a solicitor from the north, from from Armagh. And a lot of those guys used to go to, there was a bunch of them used to go to a lot of meetings like Dundalk and particularly Phoenix Park, uh, which would be my next selection, I guess, uh, for in terms of racing. Uh, I loved the park particularly. I, I think it was, it's one of the great losses to our civilization that there's no more racing, no more race than Phoenix Park. Uh, it, it there was just something about it. It was um, like it, it was a very very odd track, you know. Uh, it had a very strange finishing post. Like the po- finishing post was at a, at a weird angle of the stand. It wasn't <laughs> like head on. It kind of was, uh, you know, at, at, at a funny, a strange angle. Uh, I, I'm not sure why. Like the stand were literally kind of, you know, the wrong in the wrong place, kind of. But it just gave this kind of unique atmosphere to it. 
they used to have uh, this very old-fashioned thing where you'd have the, um, you know, uh, the Artain Boys Band or something would play a little, a few toots on the, uh, on, on the, of our, at the start of every race, like you'd see in American films at the start of the race, you know. Uh, and it was just a really nice uh, place. Also, I, I also often thought that when the Celtic Tiger came in, Imagine if the Phoenix Park had been still there, that you could literally just walk up to it from the city centre. It was a real kind of uh, loss, uh, even though by the time it was finished, it was mostly, it was always flat racing. And it had just like, you would have like four and five horses in each race. Now, I, I still really, really loved it. And at that point, again, the, I was telling this, this friend of mine, his father was, was a really big racing guy and he would have us, listening into people's conversations like we were just kids you know so he would send us after barney curly or someone like that you know and uh just to sort of get the vibe from barney and see if he was listening this basically snooping on (laughs) just to see if he was you know muttering anything to one of his associates about what horse might be might be uh you know going to win this race uh, I remember once we were sent after um, Mrs. Magnier, who was the Clem, Clem Magnier, the trainer, his wife was seen going into the tow. Just have a small bed, I don't know, 50p or something like that. And we were sent, there's Mrs. Magnier, go after Mrs. Magnier and see what she's, uh, see what she's backing. And, and we, we literally st- stood behind Mrs. Magnier and heard her, uh, backing her own horse. Right. <laughs> okay. 50p on her own horse. And we went back and th- that horse won. So we felt we had, um, you know, we had done great. We, we, we had sort of, we almost became men in that moment. You know what I mean? That yeah. we, uh, we had delivered the vital piece of information. I can relate. It was such relate. a great sort of, uh, you know, discovery, all that, the racing. It was like the, all the intrigue and all the sort of, um, just part of the racing itself, which, which, which was great. I mean, the, um, just the bookies at the time, like these Sean Graham, Terry Rogers, these guys who would take really large amounts of money, you know? I mean, they were on the nod that they would be taking like, you know, four or five grand, something like that. And they wouldn't wipe the boards mm. if they got that. You know what I mean? They would, they would take, take and sort of in, um, with the baby, they were seven to four, might become six to four, you know? Uh, so it was great looking at that and just watching, uh, bookies themselves. I mean, I, I uh, sort of would look at these guys and think, what a job. You know, they all seem to have a bit of a tan, you know, <laughs> and uh, they had these big satchels full of money uh, and they went to race meetings all the time. You know, what um, what a life, you know. So uh, that that would be the, like the Phoenix Fire Woods would always be my my, my favourite track. I never really liked Leopardstown for some reason. Mm. Um it was more suburban or something. I love the Curra. Uh the dock was a great track. Um, you know, but um but the Finch Park really that was that was the one. Yeah, that, bringing up a lot of memories there and like what Declan is saying about the paper and they used to have these mystical names, they still do like Captain Keen and the tipster and this image then as the race meeting was just bleeding itself uh, to the, its conclusion. To see the the Irish Independent, that one page that was like literally torn out of the paper, just like flickering in the wind. <laughs> and you look at those selections, the crumpled kind of tattered paper that is now no more, but had so much optimism. Yeah. More and great memories as well. Yeah, lovely image yeah. <clears throat> for sure. And your next pick, Declan, we're going to 1989 for your penultimate pick. Uh, the Republic of Ireland beating Spain by a goal tonight at Lansdowne Road. This was a qualifier, of course, for the uh, Italian 90 World Cup. Um, Great atmosphere at this match, I'm told, uh, and, and, and a serious memory for you as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it was an amazing atmosphere. Um, uh, and it was almost like the last time you could, ha- you could have such an atmosphere. I, I went with uh, with George Byrne, the great uh, rock um, journalist, a uh, friend of mine. And uh, George and I had had been also at at the start of that era, or sorry, the end of the last match that Owen Hams was manager for was Ireland and Denmark. And uh, we were, it was a terrible day. Ireland were beaten 4-1 by Denmark, who were a really good team at the time. And uh, I remember that later that night, we were in the international bar, uh, drowning our sorrows. And uh, Eamon Mack-Tomalsh, I mean, you know the famous Medjugorje and Garden in Dublin, Dublin in the rare old times. That of Shane, isn't it? And uh, we were there, and Eamon Mack-Tomalsh came in, and, and he completely said, uh, oh, Brian Brew was the only fella that could beat them Danes, uh, <laughs> which didn't improve our our mood any, <laughs> any, any uh, greater. But... Uh, Fast forward, and now it's it's it, Euro '88 has happened, and Ireland are now looking really good. But there was always this kind of this we just beating one of these teams like Spain, like in, in a really important match, was always kind of a bit elusive. I mean, that was a, would be a huge breakthrough if we could manage it in qualifiers for Italian '90, and uh, we were on the terraces. Uh, opposite the main, the main stand. And the interesting thing is it was, it was just a few weeks after Hillsborough. So the whole world would, a football, like, a, a, you know, the standing on terraces and all that kind of thing would, would start becoming a kind of, um, almost a thing of the past. But there was this really intense atmosphere, almost like, almost like a kind of a crazed atmosphere on the day. 50,000 people at it, which in itself is kind of scary. And the Spaniards, they, it was really interesting to see it. Like they were disturbed by it; they were put off by it. Anytime any of them would go near the the touchline to take a throw in, they would be shouting at them. <laughs> it was a really kind of frenzied atmosphere. And uh, I remember, like Steve Staunton was out on our side of the pitch, like obviously for the the first half. And he was really good on the day. He was, you know, he he, he was just just come into the side, and. You know, we think, oh, here's another kind, Steve Staunton. You know, he's 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 good, and he even was, wasn't one of the main players for us. You know, so uh, Ireland scored after about 17 minutes, and uh, at the time we thought it was Frank Stapleton. It turned out it was actually an own goal by by Mitchell, the Spanish guy. Now I call him Mitchell because apparently that's the correct pronunciation. Everybody called him Michelle, but Jack Charlton called him Mitchell. And Jack was right. <laughs> now, Jack wasn't intentionally right, but he just preferred to call him Mitchell. And as it happens, as luck would have it, Jack was always sort of lucky, uh, even in this pronouncing Spaniards' names. So it turned out it was an OG, but uh, they, they, the Spaniards didn't take it well at all. I mean, like, Utragueno was their big player at the time. He was taken off in the second half. And they complained afterwards, you know, saying this was not a football match. You know, the pitch was terrible. <laughs> and the pitch was terrible. It was just a rugby pitch. Jack used to actually praise the groundsman for <laughs> making it as much like a rugby pitch as possible. Because again, he still portrayed us as this kind of, uh, you know, um, underdog up against these uh, sophisticates. Um, but it, it, it was, um, you, you know, the, the, their whole attitude was, uh, this had just been, they had just been subjected to this sort of medieval savagery. And, and it wasn't football, which only kind of increased uh, our sense of jubilation. But it was 1-0. They, Ireland won that game. And that was absolutely, that really was a breakthrough. 
it was the final breakthrough, if you like, of Jack's team. And uh, they qualified fairly easily after that. You know, it was a great day when they beat Hungary uh, 2-0, I think, uh, really sunny Sunday. Uh, but there was a sense that they were on the, you know what I mean, they, that, that they, were, they, they were kind of on the home straight at this stage. But that was, uh, you know, that was big. Yeah, unbelievable. Even reading here, Steve Staunton was not due to start, but Chris Morris, the regular right-back, recovering from an appendix surgery, and then Chris Hutton moved from right to left-back to, to accommodate. Staunton, your final pick then, Declan, is another brilliant one. Patrick Harrington winning the Irish PGA Championship uh, in 2007, a week before his first major at Carnoustie uh, in the Open. So this was at the European Club at the, the beautiful British Bay, Downey County Wicklow. Yeah, it was, see, it was on, they'd almost uh, put it on specially for Porrick because it was a week before he before Carnoustie, before he, he won his first major. Mm. And, um, like, it, it was like, a, it was a wee bit like Leighton. Uh, you know, you could want, people, we wandered up there, with, with, like, with the kids, myself and a couple of friends of mine, uh, like, who were, like, five or six years of age. Uh, and it was, like, very open and very, like, it wasn't a huge crowd at it. There was a lot of local people. And you could just kind of wander around after boring. You know, it was it was really unusual. But it's like there's something very old fashioned about it, uh, because you know, it, again, it wasn't like a, it wasn't the Irish Open. It was the Irish PGA, uh, which is like so it wasn't a huge corporate event. But it was at the European Club, which is, which is a great track, really, because what I like about it is it's very understated. You know, the actual like the, during the, the Celtic Tiger years, you know, you know, all these Taj Mahals were built in the middle of nowhere in these golf. Clubhouse, you know, uh, the, the luxurious, um, magnificent sort of uh, uh, creations. Whereas the, the European club isn't really like that. Do you know what I mean? It's it's more sort of understated. It's all about the golf, you know. So it was, it was a great venue. They set it up more or less specifically for Porrick. But even then, like, you know, he, now he won. Now he, one thing you get the sense of is how good Porrick Harrington is at golf. There's a kind of a myth that, that like, Porrick, he has many virtues and, uh, you know, he's wonderful attitude but maybe he's not all that good at golf you know <laughs> but he's actually really good right? and particularly his short game you could you know when you were up close you can see just how good he is around the green on links courses and everything which he, of course he demonstrated the following week but even the following week i remember on the saturday before they played in carnoustie a friend of mine saying look he said look look i love porridge but he's just not going to win major <laughs> so even then he'd he'd you know, he'd uh, set the thing up. He, he, you know, approached it really well, and he knew he was probably going to win a major. But even they, until he did it, nobody really believed him. But it was really enjoyable. Then naturally, he won the the Irish PGA. He almost felt he had to ensure it since they set it up for him. Uh, he, I think he won it in a playoff. Uh, but the day we saw him, it was really, it was really kind of pleasant day. You were up very close to him. Uh, you could see how kind of fit he was. Do you know what I mean? He looked, he looked really impressive. Um, and he was, he was just really good. So, uh, you know, I always think like, you know, he, we were there just before he, uh, he walked into the, walked through the door into immortality. Uh, we, we got to see Corey, you know. Brilliant. Now, they're, they're wonderful picks. Declan, uh, just to run people through them again, FAI Cup semi-final 1974, Mick O'Brien breaking the uh, the crossbar twice, the Athlone Town goalkeeper in that 5-0 defeat to Finn Harps. You had the late-turn races in the mid-70s in East Meath. You had the Phoenix Park races in the late 80s as well. 
uh, and the famous uh, late great Terry Rogers, the bookmaker as well. Uh, Ireland's win over Spain at Lansdowne in uh, 1989, that 1-0 uh, win, and Steve Staunton's performance that day in particular, and Patrick Harrington winning the Irish PGA Championship at European Club in 2007, a week before Carnoustie. Declan, great picks. Thanks a million for those. Uh, I know it's not easy to, to narrow them down, but uh, fair play. Okay, thanks. Bye. Great stuff. Declan Lynch there, the Sunday Independent Sports Writer. That is your latest episode of You Had to Be There. You're so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. You had to be there. Oh, to be, of course. Great picks, great picks. He's actually not a sports writer, um, but right. maybe he should be. Um, I've been reading Declan for a long time, and, and he occasionally talks about stuff like this, but like these are. Th- that's the beauty of you had to be there. I f- kind of feel like I was, and I can relate to a lot of what he's talking about, particularly yeah. the old crappy St. Mel's and League of Ireland Laytown races. Um, the old Lansdowne Road, like the mm. atmosphere. And you got to remember, Ireland at that time was coming out of um, the 80s and coming into like a slight newfound confidence going into 90 in terms of the country opening up and all that. And the noise in the place. I think we got it back for the France game. I actually think we yeah. did for the first, first time, time in a while. Like yeah. The Germany game, possibly, which yeah. long scored was the last. Maybe It wasn't at that game, no. But the atmosphere in the France game, it was, you know, this, the image of like the player coming over to take a throw and almost being afraid that yeah. he was going to get like just basically barreled out of it. like yeah. and, and a terrible, terrible pitch as well. Well, Making a fortress, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're talking about Astro now, but lands down in those days. Yeah, I suppose it worked in Ireland's favour that day back in 1989 against Spain for sure. Uh, OTBM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back in the night edition available now. Johnny, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, million as always. Tomorrow's show, Johnny will be back this time alongside Adrian Barry. They'll have Ronan O'Gara, Anna Capeless, Nada Manua, plenty more. I'll be off to the, the World Snooker Championship this weekend. So oh, enjoy. A bit of content yeah, yeah, you'll meet a couple of. Uh, couple of um, I suppose friends of mine um, yeah going over to see the snooker yeah, you'll, you'll definitely wait. bump into them 100% yeah, must, must get the contact yeah. details and good experience them, so yeah. Ronnie, Ronnie O'Sullivan and uh, Hossein Vafai with a little, little bit of war, war. I think Mark Allen is this the one for Mark Allen Mark, Mark looks in good form but um, look if Ronnie builds up ahead of steam it's hard to see him beaten Neil Robertson looks strong already mm. I'm sitting on the fence basically is yeah. what, what I'm saying like the, the lads in the game earlier exactly. yeah. looking forward to it though but uh, right now we have Wednesday Night Rugby with Keith Wood who was in studio alongside Rory O'Connor and Joe Malloy last night have a terrific Thursday OCB AM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition available now